This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Misa Besada, or Ace Galaxy. Well, I'm not really Ace. I'm Ace's creator, or mother. I wrote and produced the six-episode satirical audio drama that launched in 2013. Today's podcast features all six episodes stitched together like another mother, Mary Shelley, once did for her kid. I hope you enjoy it. Eraser, quick, before the damage becomes permanent. Here you are, ma'am. What's this? It's an eraser. You call this tiny thing an eraser? This isn't even big enough to erase a millisecond. What if I had to erase a whole second, a minute, an hour, or fate forbid, a day? <clears throat> Who am I, copy-aid? Editor-in-chief at the Giant Book of Destiny. So get me a giant eraser. Uh, Ma'am? What? Um, the little red light came on a few seconds ago. The broadcast has begun. The broadcast? What? That was scheduled for today? Whose bright idea was this, anyway? Well, the idea came from the PR department, ma'am. In response to your directive to find a way to help sentient and non-sentient beings everywhere understand that life isn't just a series of incomprehensible, ludicrous mistakes and happenstance events bumping into one another without rhyme or reason, but, you know, rather part of a meaningful, well-thought-out plan. How's a broadcast from the giant book of destiny going to do that? It won't change anything for anyone. Yes, but just knowing we're here is supposed to create a warm, fuzzy feeling in listeners' hearts. Who approved this plan? Well, you did, ma'am. If you'll just flip back two pages in the giant book, you'll see yourself saying it's a great idea, ma'am. The little red light is still shining. We are on the air. Go get me a coffee, and for the love of everything that is, has been, and ever will be, find me a giant eraser. Sentient and non-sentient beings across the endless abyss of time and space, welcome to the first broadcast from the giant book of destiny. I'm joined in the studio by Fran, our most thorough fact-checker. Hey, everyone. So, Fran, can you explain how this broadcast is going to help our listeners find meaning in their lives? It will help everyone understand that destiny knows one thing that no one else knows. And what is that thing? Uh, that thing is... Hold on, I'll find it. Are you sure you wrote it down? Yes, yes, I'm pretty sure I did. Oh, here we go. The thing we know here at Destiny that no one else knows is... everything. Knowing everything there is to know through all of time and space clears up just about all misunderstandings and gives Destiny a huge advantage when looking for perspective on any situation. Originally, we were going to provide a big-picture perspective for everyone out there, but it came to our attention that that would take forever, so we decided to use a single being as an example. 
Whose life have you chosen, Fran? Uh, I don't... I, oh. Ah, Ace Galaxy. Very good choice. CESA's special Agent Galaxy's destiny is significant because it happens to converge with the destiny of his entire planet, Earth. Sit back and listen while destiny unfolds before your eyes. <clears throat> Auditory receptors. Uh, your coffee, ma'am. Special Agent Alexa Von Lucy, Grand Duchess of Bigar. Get in here. Chief, Special Agent Alexa Von Lucy, Grand Duchess of Bigar, is on lunch. Special Agent Drew, get in here. I'm sorry, sir. Special Agent Drew's having lunch, too. Reginder. Eating. Genbia Belloma. Chewing. Someone who's not on lunch, get in here. Ace, what are you doing in here? I'm not on lunch, Chief. Damn it! This is a Canadian security intelligence service, a federally funded government organization set up to protect and benefit Canada and the world. Why are you always the only one in the office, Ace? I'm never invited to staff lunches. You're telling me the whole staff goes out for lunch at the same time every day? For four or five hours, yes, sir. But you're never invited? No, sir. They tell me it's because I'm only ever interested in discussing the big questions. Why are we here? Who's in charge of this thing called life? When are we going to make contact with beings from some of those billions of habitable planets out there? But since it's impossible to make small talk with big questions, conversations with me generally end with the short answer. Who cares? We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Are you listening, Chief? <clears throat> what? Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was thinking about getting a big tub of hot water to put under my desk for my feet. <sighs> Well, why are you still here, Ace? You said you have a new case for me. Do you know why I hate giving you any cases, Ace? Um... I'll tell you why. I'm first meeting you, my feet felt cramped. Your feet, sir? Everything about you is just that little bit off. How tall are you? Six foot seven. You're at least three inches taller than normal. And that thing hanging over your eyes. My forehead? It makes you look like some sort of caveman. Stop blinking at me so fast. That's how fast I always blink, sir. Twice as fast as a regular person. It drives me crazy. And then there's that monstrosity where you keep all those warped projects of yours. My knitting bag. When a CSIS agent is sitting at his desk, I expect him to be typing or examining something with a magnifying glass, not clacking two knitting needles together like a little old lady. My feet are the seat of my intuition, Ace. And you make them feel like they're stuck in shoes the size of the Grinch's heart before it grew two sizes at the top of the mountain. Do you understand? I think so, sir. Are you sure there's no one else out there? Special Agent Ivana Bunwe sometimes falls asleep under her desk. Peek your head out the door and see if she's still lying around. No, sir. Special Agent Ivana's not currently lying around. Did you have a case for me, sir? Well, okay, well... See this rock acting as a paperweight for all these uh, files on my desk? Yes, sir. Chief, why did you throw the rock at me? Can't you see I've got my shoes off and my toes are finally happy digging into the nice, plush carpet under my desk? Why are you still here? I thought you wanted to give me an assignment. 
I already gave you the assignment. Now get out of here. No, sir. You only threw a rock at me. The rock you just dropped into your knitting bag is the assignment. Here, take this file. Maybe it'll be some use to you. It gave me a headache. A geologist named Akhenaten Jones was on some archaeological expedition digging up fossils from the Precambrian period. While studying fossilized protozoan life, he also found a microscopic pair of orange and yellow shoes with little red taps. <laughs> Whatever that means. Giant Book of Destiny here with a little bit of moniker trivia for those of you wondering why Jane and Joe Jones would name their son Akhenaten, especially since they were originally going to call him John Jones. Fact checker Fran, explain. Uh, okay, let's see. I, I know. I've got that here somewhere. You have one job. The moment they laid eyes on their newborn, Jane and Joe realized that he was destined for great things. Right! So to set him apart from the rest of the Joneses and to help ensure his destiny, they decided to furnish him with the exotic name of an ancient Egyptian king. While researching names alphabetically, they came across Akhenaten and liked the way it tripped off their tongues. So they stopped there. Had they brushed up a little more on their ancient history, Jane and Joe would have found out that after his death, Akhenaten's name and image were obliterated from temple walls. And that his main claim to fame was as the heretic pharaoh because of his radical monotheistic ideas in a radically polytheistic society. Oh, hey, I've been waiting for you. Come on in. Wow, I've never seen so many rocks outside of, well, outside of, outside. Do you like Super Smash Brothers? I've never met them. Never met who? The Smash Brothers. Oh, it's a video game. Are you Akhenaten Jones? Yes. Are you the TV repairman? Yeah, I've lost the color in my set, and every once in a while it goes static, and voices call out to me through the white noise. I'm Special Agent Ace Galaxy from CSIS, and I have your rock. Uh, one of your rocks. You mean it wasn't filed in some giant cabinet labeled hoaxes and crackpot allegations? No, of course not. Tell me, Mr. Jones, do you think it's possible that a civilization advanced enough to cobble shoes and dance in them could have arisen in pre-prehistory? A tiny little civilization that we wouldn't even notice, even if it were still around today? Did Janice put you up to this? Who's Janice? My ex-fiancé. Did Janice arrange for you to come here wearing that straight face with big questions written all over it and ask me ridiculous things? No, I've never met Janice. I'm here because I've already examined this rock under one of the high-powered CSIS microscopes and saw the tap shoes. Since they are indubitably there, my job requires me to determine to whom they belonged. May I have the rock, please? Hey, what are you doing? Let go of my arm! I'm going to throw this rock out the window. There's a mystery locked in that rock. A mystery that once unlocked could have world-changing repercussions. What world-changing repercussions? It's a friggin' rock! Bits of obsidian, sulfides, halides, silicates, just like it had been lying around here for billions of years. And in all those billions of years, no other rock ever ended up with tiny tap shoes embedded in it. When something only happens once in history, it's got to have something newsworthy to say to the rest of the world. Let go of my hand! I found this rock... I can throw it out the window if I want to. Mr. Jones, after you gave this rock to CSIS, it became government property. This rock belongs to the Canadian people. Fine. Take it and get out of my house. I wish the TV repairman would get here. Playing Super Smash Brothers is the only thing that keeps me from throwing myself out the window. Oh, maybe that's the TV repairman. Mother, what are you doing here? What? No hello? 
You know Akanakan after that whole nasty business with that greatest fine history of history's press conference and Janice leaving you and you losing your job, your reputation, your grant money. I thought to myself, my little Aki probably spending all his time playing video games and eating pizza. That's just not healthy. I should go over there and make him a home-cooked meal. Mother, that's a box of craft dinner. That's right, and I'm going to cook it right here in your home. What are you still doing here? I just got here. No, Mother, not you, him. Fill this pot with water for me, sweetie. If I could just ask you a couple of questions, I'll be on my way. Get out. Aki, that's no way to behave. You'll have to excuse my son. He hasn't been himself since he lost his reputation, his grant money, and his fiancé because of his absurd claim that we are not alone in the... What was it, dear? Universe or galaxy? Both. Neither. I don't care. I'm going to see if I can fix the TV myself. Mrs. Jones, I'm Special Agent Ace Galaxy from CSIS, and it's my job to try and determine how this rock came to be embedded with microscopic tap shoes. You have the rock? May I see it? Wait, what are you doing? I'm going to throw this rock out that window. If I can throw it fast enough and far enough, maybe we'll end up back in the time before my Aki found it. And he can go back to being the most aspiring geologist of his generation. He used to have such a promising future before he got so involved with those damn Smash Brothers. He can still have a promising future-altering future. But first, I just need some information. The water's boiling. Pass me the box of craft dinner, will you please? Is the craft dinner ready yet? I've decided you're right. I really would like to have a home-cooked meal. You're still here. Can you explain how you discovered the microscopic tap shoes in this rock? It was one of the rocks I found during an expedition in the Northwest Territories where volcanic activity during the Precambrian period fossilized whatever was alive at the time. After I came home, I began cataloging the life preserved in those rocks. Amoebas, protozoa, worms... I was looking at the very beginning of life. Your ancestors, Mr. Galaxy. Dear, please get me the batter out of the fridge. Did you realize there was something different about this rock right off the bat? Well, I noticed it had a garish red and yellow stain, but I thought it was some sort of trick of light, so I threw it down and went to look for my wallet. You had something in your wallet that you thought would help you figure out what the red and yellow stain was? No, the pizza guy was at the door and I needed some money to pay him. If I didn't come by and prepare him a home-cooked meal, Aki would live on pizza. Boys, your food is getting cold. I sat down to eat my pizza and immediately shot back up again. You had a sudden revelation about the rock. No, I sat on it. I was just about to toss it into a bucket of discards, but I couldn't get those weird colors out of my head, and I decided to take two minutes and give it one more look before I ate my pizza. You found the tap shoes within two minutes. Those two minutes turned into two days and nights of exhaustive study. Here are my conclusions. One... The tap shoes are not an illusion created by a random configuration of colors in the minerals and rocks. Two, they were not seamlessly embedded into the rock at some time after the demise of all the amoebas from a very painful death by volcano. Three, the metal in the taps is not native to Earth. Four, pizza can sit untouched in a box and still be edible 48 hours later. Who knew? What? Pizza might be indescriptible, but craft dinner isn't. It's starting to harden into a fortress in the pot. If you don't eat it soon, we may never get it out again. Five. No one would go to the trouble of creating such an elaborate hoax if they were just going to leave it in the middle of nowhere where its chances of being discovered were as remote as as extraterrestrials being identical in form to humans. Ridiculous, right? Six. 
Earth played host to alien visitors in the past, and one of them forgot their shoes at the party. At that point, a person with any regard for his reputation would have buried that rock in the backyard. But Aki, my son, no, he had to call a press conference. I said we had irrefutable evidence that we're not alone. Since there's at least one other civilization out there, we can extrapolate that there must be countless others. It's time we stop fighting amongst ourselves, come together as a united planet, and figure out a way to say hi to the neighbors. You've never seen a bloodthirsty killer reaction like the one he got after that. I understand. People react like that to my work all the time. Tell me, were you able to discern anything else about the tiny aliens through your studies? Yes, one other thing. Although the fossilized shoes are tiny, that doesn't necessarily mean the extraterrestrials were. I also found remnants of fossilized full-sized footprints made by those same shoes in some of the other rocks. Yeah, I'm guessing the being that danced in those shoes had the ability to change size. Garbage. What's that, Mother? Oh, the craft dinner. You waited too long to eat it. It's garbage now. I came all this way. Field notes. Special Agent Ace Galaxy. The footwear contained in the rock did not belong to a small someone from a civilization in Earth's pre-prehistory as originally hypothesized. Furthermore, the tiny alien dancer may not have been so tiny after all. What's the holdup? Why are we paused? This is the giant book of destiny. Everything's already written. Copy aid, fact checker Frank, get in here. Ma'am, Yasmin Stanislavski is standing outside CISA's headquarters trying to decide if she should go in and tell them about the inexplicable artifact she found. Well, what's she waiting for? Oh, oh, here it is. Having lived through more than the standard allotment of ridicule growing up, Yasmin Stanislavski has no desire to invite more by showing anyone her impossible find. You mean... That issue with her family is holding up our broadcast? Yeah, I guess so. Look, as descendants of Konstantin Stanislavski, the famous developer of the Stanislavski system for actors, everyone in Yasmin's family is either an aspiring actor, an aspiring director, an aspiring stagehand, or aspiring to do something connected with the stage. All except Yasmin. All she's ever been interested in is dinosaurs. Right! Her family could never accept her decision to become a scientist rather than follow their dreams. Copy aid, get me my giant eraser. I'm going to update Yasmin's destiny so she stops dithering around much sooner and gets on with deciding that her find is incredible and significant enough to risk getting laughed out of the CSIS office. Take a seat. Please, give me a moment. What I'm working on is quite complicated, and I just need to put this part together while it's still in my head. Well, it's no wonder no one takes Canadian intelligence seriously. The only person here in this whole CSIS office is this Neanderthalish-looking fellow who'd obviously rather knit than listen to me. Coming here was a mistake. There, finished. What can I do for you, Miss Stanislavski? You have my full attention. Wow. She might be the most beautiful girl in the world. He's actually kind of cute with that protruding forehead casting a shadow over his eyes. (laughs) Maybe someone who knits and goes against the flow by really paying attention to people isn't the sort to start screaming I'm a lunatic right away. Miss Denislavsky? Okay, how do I say this? In my purse, I've got a... (laughs) I can't say it. What are you knitting? I knit to help myself make sense out of the senseless, to make tangible what's inherently intangible. 
to find a gateway into the collective unconscious in order to tap into all that is. It's also a sweater for my mother's birthday. Ah. What was that? You know how you feel about beautiful girls with brown ringlets. Ace, you'll have to work extra hard to monitor what comes out of your mouth when talking to her. Yes, mean just tell him about the artifact. Are you hungry? Thank you for agreeing to discuss my case over lunch. I was worried that once you heard what I had to say, you'd think I was a crackpot and well, I, I guess I just wanted you to keep speed blinking at me without thinking I was crazy for a little while longer. Miss Stanislavski, there is a giant cabinet in our office labeled hoaxes and crackpot allegations, and I can assure you I've never filed anything in there. I believe it's important to consider every potential answer to all of life's questions and mysteries, no matter how bizarre, unreasonable, or downright impossible. Hi. Uh, specials today include toxic salmon, antibiotic-laden steak, and pesticide... Are you hungry? Uh, no. Two waters, please. Great. They're not going to eat or drink anything. I should kick them out. Hold on. Maybe a table that doesn't want anything would be a refreshing change. Would you mind if I knit while you tell me about your case? It will help me keep my mind clear to absorb what you're saying. And to distract me from staring longingly into those mesmerizing eyes of yours. I guess not. <clears throat> Last summer, I was working on a dig in the Alberta Badlands. The site had already produced a tooth and three pieces of the femur of a Gaganatosaurus, so we were all really excited. Go on. Well, it was a scorching hot day and everyone was really thirsty, so I volunteered to go to the water stand run by a kid named Jason about half a mile away. Well, as soon as the water stand came into view, my skin started tingling. Heat stroke. Well, that was my first thought, but... The minute my feet touched the ground by the water stand, my bones went from tingling to shrieking under my skin. Dinosaur! You were in communication with a dead dinosaur. Yes, well, sort of. I knew there was a dinosaur buried under there. And you didn't suspect what you were perceiving might be part of a heat-stroke-induced hallucination. What? No, of course not. I knew it. Maybe the artifact I have in my purse is a hallucination, too. Well, I am sorry to have wasted your time, Mr. Galaxy. Miss Stanislavski, please, sit down. I didn't mean to upset you. Considering all possibilities, no matter how outlandish, is part of my job. Please continue. And Ace, focus on the sweater you're knitting and try not to say anything else that will make this stunning woman want to run away. Well, none of the other paleontologists wanted to join me in an unpromising area where nothing but water had ever been found. So I recruited Jason and his skateboard buddies to help. We worked for a month, digging and brushing and using a toothbrush to clear away millions of years of dirt until we struck... Dinosaur. Dinosaur. Ace, you left Chief alone in the office? Don't you think that was a little selfish? What if a new case comes in? Special Agent Alexa Von Lucy, Grand Duchess of Bigger, this is Yasmin. We're discussing her case. You and the other special agents had already been on lunch for three hours. I didn't think you'd be much longer. Appalling behavior is... Regender. Despicable. Jinbia Baloma. Unprofessional. Drew. Ivana Bonwi, wake up. We're leaving. <gasps> Ivana? Sorry about that. So you struck Dinosaur. You're a paleontologist. Isn't that your job? 
Well, yes, but it wasn't just any old totally intact dinosaur skeleton. It was a full velociraptor, complete with feathers. The earliest specimen of its kind ever found. We called her Eve because she was the mother of all birds. You certainly are thirsty. My throat has suddenly gone um, all dry. Waiter, could you get us a couple more glasses of water, please? Finally. I was hoping they'd demand something. Having nothing to do isn't all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> right away, sir. Paleontologists from around the world came. It turned into a huge party because of the definitive, undeniable truth that birds evolved from dinosaurs. Well, I mean, obviously they didn't just pop into existence out of an alien spaceship one day or something. That's not crazy. As far as I know, it's accepted wisdom. A small interruption. As respected, dedicated, and meticulous a scientist as Yasmin is, she's completely wrong about everything she just said. Right! The dinosaur Yasmin calls Eve did actually pop into existence after exiting an alien spaceship. Of course, Eve's name was Karen at the time, and... We'll get to all that later. Just setting the matter straight. Destiny out. Bye. Haven't gotten to the crazy part yet. Because everyone was having so much fun at the party, Jason and I were the only ones who actually kept working every day. Your waters. His mom usually wanted him home around dinner time, so I kept working alone into the night by lantern. Waiter, could I have some more water, please? You're anxious. Don't worry, you haven't said anything crazy yet. My family tormented me my whole life about not wanting to become an actor. <laughs> Despite their taunts and ridicule, I went to graduate school and became a scientist. Once I began my career, I thought I'd left all that name-calling behind, and now huh, this has happened. <sighs> Forget I came to see you. I'm sorry, Mr. Galaxia. Please, sit down, Miss Stanislavski. I promise I won't taunt you. Waiter, where's that water? I'll keep it down. Here's your water, your majesty. You're not the only table in the restaurant, you know. I hope you realize how much running around I'm doing for you. You're doing an exemplary job. I plan on leaving a 25% tip. Oh, really? <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> okay, let me know if there's anything else I can get you. Wait a minute. You haven't ordered anything. 25% of nothing is... Nothing. Ah! Oops, I'm so yes, sorry. Yes, are you okay? Waiter. What's the matter with you? Why would you deliberately pour water on someone's head? Oh, it was an accident. I didn't pour it. I spilled it. Shall I get your check? Oh, wait. There's no check. You never ordered anything. Let's get out of here. No, no, I'm fine, actually. I, I feel better now. We can stay. Waiter, could I have some napkins to clean up this mess? Oh, no, she wants napkins. What One night happened? while you were working all alone... I'd brushed and dusted and wiped all the way down to what looked like a perfectly round rock sitting on the velociraptor's chest. I should have asked that waiter for another glass of water. Ace, I'll be right back. That woman doesn't look like she's going to finish her drink. Miss Stanislavski, please sit down. I promise I'm not going to call you a crackpot or even think it. How could I, with those tiny droplets of water falling off of your curls like little exploding diamonds of light? I beg your pardon? Ace, remember to distinguish between thoughts you keep in your head and thoughts you say out loud. I'm sorry. I never think anyone's story is crazy right off the bat. 
The truth is I also find you incredibly attractive and I momentarily forgot which thoughts to keep reined in my head and which ones to let loose in the air. Oh, uh, um, where was I? You found a rock on the Velociraptor's chest. Here we go. But it wasn't a rock. It was a round thing that looked just like a tennis ball and it wasn't sitting on the raptor's chest. It was secured inside some sort of contrivance around its neck. A velociraptor with a necklace containing a tennis ball around its neck. That's insane! What are you, some sort of crackpot? Here are your napkins. Don't ask for anything else. Please, continue. Stranger still, the necklace and tennis ball thing weren't fossilized rock like the rest of the dinosaur. They were still pliable and fresh. Why did you stop knitting? I need to make some notes. I'm listening. Working all the way through the night, I managed to separate the necklace from the rest of the dinosaur. I have a 70 million year old tennis ball in my purse. I came here to see if you could help me figure out why a dinosaur was carrying a tennis ball around without a racket in sight. May I see it? I've never shown this to anyone else. So you and I are the only ones who've ever seen it. Well, you and I and Eve, I had to hide it. If any of the other paleontologists had seen it, they'd have called it a hoax. Then Eve would have been called a hoax along with it. I'd have been put under investigation, and my family would have taunted me to no end. You're absolutely sure there's no way anyone could have faked this. You checked it and double-checked it. There's no doubt about it. I radiometric dated it, I relative dated it, I absolute dated it, I double dated it. This tennis ball and necklace are exactly as old as the dinosaur. But I never hung it around my neck like that. This necklace was designed to hold and protect the ball. For an eternity, if necessary. Why are you holding it up to the light? I'm just trying to see if there's anything unusual about it. Oh, I've done all that. Rolled it around in my hands, thrown it against the wall, threw it at my brother. Wait, I have... Why are you shaking it by your ear? I've never done that. Did you hear this? Sounds like a storm. In the same way it's possible to hear the sea by holding a seashell up to your ear, when you listen closely to the tennis ball, you can hear a thunderstorm. What do you think could be causing that? Field notes, Special Agent Ace Galaxy. Read Dinosaur Necklace and Tennis Ball. Tennis balls, necklaces, and feathers are all commonplace on Earth now. Is it just a coincidence that they all originated on the same dinosaur? What could be causing the sound of the storm? Discuss with the boys in the lab. Why haven't we switched to the boys in the lab? We're running out of time, ma'am. The broadcast is only 30 minutes and we're nearing the half-hour mark. Who timed this? What are we going to do for the next two minutes? Hey, who are you? I'm Stan, legal counsel for the book. What are you doing here? Since we have a few minutes, I thought I'd drop by to make sure no one says anything that could get Destiny sued. Sued for what? Oh, you know, uh, arbitrarily handing out a raw deal to a hard-working, good-hearted person while her lazy, no-good neighbor gets life handed to her on a civil platter. I wasn't aware of the giant book of destiny ever being sued. Oh, it hasn't been. <laughs> Automated voice messaging systems were created to ensure that never happens. By arranging for every call that comes into the Destiny offices to be toggled from one automated message to another, with no live being ever in the loop, we can ensure that no complaint is ever received. I see. Just to be clear to everyone listening out there, Destiny is in no way responsible for anything that happens in anyone's life. Notwithstanding the fact everyone's life was written into the giant book of Destiny before they were ever born. So, Destiny's not responsible for what Destiny created? Correct. 
Under no circumstances can Destiny be held accountable for the circumstances of anyone's life. For any other complaints, serious car accidents, catastrophic injuries, slip and fall accidents, yeah, dog thank attacks, you, Stan. and the like, just call. Copy aid, have we hit the 30 minute mark yet? Just about, ma'am. You should sum up the new developments from this broadcast for the listeners. Okay. And throw in a few teasers about the next episode to encourage them to come back next week. Are we still live? The little red light is shining, yes, ma'am. In the future. Please, distinguish between the things you say out loud and the things you communicate privately in writing. Yes, ma'am. Will Ace Galaxy ever figure out how tiny tap shoes got embedded in Precambrian rock or why a dinosaur would need to accessorize itself? Are the two cases related? Will Ace learn to keep his thoughts about Yasmin in his head? Is a romance budding between them? Wrap it up, ma'am. Write it down, copy aid. The boys in the lab are going to come up with some startling discoveries that may answer some questions, but will certainly initiate many more. Tune in next week. Somebody get him a pen. Special Agent Ace, get in here! Yes, Chief? Ace, look at my feet. Yes, sir. What do you see? Your bare feet are digging into a sandbox under your desk and your pant legs are rolled up halfway to your calves. Why do you think that is, Ace? Something unorthodox has attached itself to the CSIS name? Another weird case came across your desk? Your wife wants you to take Indian cooking classes with her. How do you know about the cooking classes? Your wife phoned me a couple of days ago to ask if I thought you'd be into it. The cooking classes aren't why I have my sandbox under my desk. No, sir. It didn't seem like the sort of thing that would cause your feet to take refuge. I just got a call from the boys in the lab. They say they've discovered something that goes against all possibility and is so far beyond improbable, it needs to be labeled impossible. Chief, please don't ask. Ace, go out into the hallway and see what it says on the two red filing cabinets. I know what they say, Chief. Get out there! Open a random drawer in each one of them, then come back in here. What was the label on the first filing cabinet? Hoaxes and crackpot allegations. Did you see any files when you opened that random drawer? It was full of files. The label on the second cabinet? Impossible, unbelievable, and unsolvable. Any files? Tons. Uh Uh-oh. He's tapping his big toes together like windshield wipers in the sandbox. Here we go. Why did the very first CSIS chief buy those filing cabinets with his own money, Ace? So cases with words like impossible and crackpot could be filed away quietly and discreetly without creating a lingering association with the CSIS name, and no one would ever have to hear about them again. Is that too much to ask? For you to get that damn rock-containing fossilized microscopic tap shoes out of your knitting bag and file it! Uh, Chief, I... And the ridiculous tennis ball that paleontologist Yasmin Stanislavski says she found in a necklace around the neck of a 70-million-year-old dinosaur? Chief... A necklace-wearing dinosaur is impossible, so file it there. 
Why can't you concentrate on relevant important cases like the one I gave you yesterday, the assassination plot for the Prime Minister? I'm ready to file Stop asking so many questions. File every inexplicable thing away and hope it will disappear. That's the way of Canadian intelligence. Hey, what? You ready to file? Yes. I already apprehended and got a confession from the would-be assassin. He was from a pro-North Americanization group intent on erasing the invisible line that separates Canada, the United States, and Mexico. I've never noticed an invisible line. The group's mandate is to ensure equality between the countries, equal access to water, oil, minerals, lumber, and tacos, and exorbitantly priced or completely inadequate health care for everyone. His plan was to kill the Prime Minister so the President could step in and help out for a while, then never leave. I'm... I'm listening... Chief, you never listen to what anyone says. I know, damn it! But sometimes it's impossible not to listen to you. It's another reason I keep telling the head honchos at head office we should fire you. But they don't listen to me. When the would-be assassin came by to drop off the assassination warning letter, his boots tracked in some mud. I had the boys in the lab do a detailed analysis of the mud from the footprint to give us a footprint of the land the footprint originated from. Stop talking in circles and get to the point! I went to the only town in Canada that had that specific combination of minerals in the earth, looked for similar footprints leading to one of the houses, and apprehended the would-be assassin. I wonder if it's possible to get a portable heater for my sandbox. Chief? Why are you still standing here? Get out of here! You wanted to tell me about a phone call you got from the boys in the lab. Does something about the boys in the lab strike you as a little strange? You mean that Stefan always dresses like a cowboy and his twin brother Stephen always dresses like a native Indian? Their parents say they never got out of their cowboys and Indians face. Oh, well, tell them they can't use smoke signals for inner office communications. Apparently it's a fire hazard. Well, howdy, Ace! The chief tells me the analysis you boys performed yesterday while I was tracking down the prime minister's would-be assassin turned up something impossible. Dagnabbit, Stephen, why did you go and tell him without me? Whoa there, cowboy. Put your gun down. There's no need for violence in these here parts. He's not the chief that told me. Mom told you never to point that thing at me. Oh, will you stop making that damn noise? And put that arrow back in your quiver. You know my gun's almost never loaded, you big baby. Stefan, give me your gun. Aw, come on, Ace. I promise I won't take it out again. Serves you right, paleface. Stephen... Give me your bow and arrows. Oh, no fair. You can have your weapons back after I leave. Boys, I understand you've got news for me. Is it about the rock or the tennis ball? The The necklace. We did what you asked this time, great delver into the unknown. We went deeper. During the first few examinations, we just confirmed there really was a pair of tap shoes in the Precambrian rock. Extraordinary, as far as facts go, but fairly ordinary, as far as tap shoes go. Now, as far as the necklace Wait, goes... Wait, what about the tennis ball? I was positive the necklace was just some sort of contrivance for taking care of the ball. Well, the ball played a pretty good game of tennis there, Padre. But aside from the curious storm you can hear when holding it up to your ear... And the fact it was found in a necklace hanging around the neck of a fossilized dinosaur... It seemed pretty ordinary. Did you cut it open? <gasps> Absolutely not! That would be tampering with evidence. Mm -hmm. So what did you find out about the necklace? Well, the first few times we examined it, we figured it was made from some fine quality leather that had the unusual ability to continue being leather when it should have disintegrated or become fossilized. But other than that, it was quite ordinary. 
So far, you boys are only telling me what I already know. When are we going to go from ordinary to impossible? Yesterday, hombre. We moved into the impossible. That's right. In order to get the kind of precise readings you were looking for, we needed the strongest magnifying device available on Earth. Then my partner Steven here had a brainstorm. Yes, I did, Kimosabe. Google Earth. Google Earth. Google Earth? Think about it, answer seeker. If that satellite all the way up there in space can pinpoint you or me walking down the street, imagine its magnifying capabilities. So we set the rock up in an outdoor lab we built and used Google Earth to get the closest look at the shoes that we ever got. It turned out they were made of fine leather. Isn't it funny, I said to my brother, more fine leather that didn't disintegrate. What are the odds? You think they're related, I said. No, impossible, I said. Do you want to make a bet, I said. You're on, I said. Steven, Stefan, can we please get to the point? What did you find out? How are the necklace and tap shoes related? What's so impossible? Well, the thing is, partner, the cells that make up the fine leather of the tap shoes and the fine leather of the necklace are exactly the same. But they aren't the cells you'd normally find in fine leather. I'm sorry, I don't understand. You know how a stem cell is undifferentiated, so it can grow to be any cell at once? Well, when we went deeper like you asked, it's kind of what we found. A bunch of undifferentiated cells that happen to get frozen in time in the shape of a pair of shoes and a necklace. From what we could tell, those undifferentiated cells could have reconfigured themselves into anything. And the other thing about them, Kimosabe, is those undifferentiated cells did not originate here on Earth. Field notes, Special Agent Ace Galaxy, read, tiny tap shoes, big necklace. A rose is a rose is a rose. If undifferentiated cells are undifferentiated cells, does that mean a pair of microscopic tap shoes are a dinosaur-sized necklace? It doesn't seem possible. Does it mean they originated from the same planet? Possibly. I'm busy. Go away. Ma'am, something's come up that requires your attention. I'm the editor-in-chief at the Giant Book of Destiny. Everything requires my attention. What do you two want? We need your authorization to hire all the inhabitants of the Vega and Rigel star systems as part-time help. And Canopus, too. We'll also need all of the inhabitants of Canopus to handle the demand. Copy aid, what kind of part-time work requires four planets worth of laborers? Oh! I can't answer that, ma'am. After all, fact-checking is my job. (laughs) All right, Fran, you answer. Well? Hold on, I'll find it. We're having trouble handling the response we're getting to our broadcast. What broadcast? Fact-checker, explain this. Oh, yes, um... The broadcast you requisitioned to help sentient and non-sentient beings everywhere understand that their insignificant lives are actually meaningful drops of paint in Destiny's big picture. Why should a problem with the broadcast require four planets' worth of part-time workers? To handle the phone lines. Agitated listeners are calling in saying that the broadcast has become, uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Nonsense. Uh, impossible to follow. Oh, here's one. Bewilderingly incomprehensible. The problem is all the new developments. Who the hell was tap dancing all over amoebas on prehistoric Earth? And why were they so small? Where did a dinosaur get a necklace? And is it possible to buy a copy over the intergalactic eBay? 
who authorized the research into undifferentiated cells. And can we confirm that nothing that ever could have developed into anything else was killed or otherwise injured in the process? What's a tennis ball doing bouncing through time? Okay, stop, both of you. Rather than hiring all those part-time workers to answer individual questions, it would be much more cost-efficient to simply explain what's going on as part of the broadcast. You mean explain all about Tra-La-La? And the recycling pile. This is the giant book of destiny. We have access to the entirety of entirety. If a little backstory will help make this broadcast comprehensible, then let's provide backstory. The whole point of this exercise is to make destiny seem more ordered, not to add to the confusion running rampant throughout creation. Oh, okay, cool. I actually marked that section on my notes with a sticky because I thought you might ask for this. Wait, was it the yellow stickies or the red stickies? Uh, just a second. Oh, for... Look, Tralala was originally one of the recycling piles where God kept scraps left over from several of the world's he... She was creating. Oh, here we go! God was commencing work on a new system when she got called away on an extended business trip. Uh... While God was away, a very large comet of unknown origin flew right through the middle of his recycling pile. By the time all the bits of recycling matter eventually coalesced, a baby planet was yawning into existence and primordial signs of life were noticing themselves for the first time. When God returned from his business trip... Instead of finding her recycling pile where she left it... He found Tralala already singing with life. Does that answer all the questions? Can I get back to work now? I've got a deadline to meet on the section of the book I'm editing about the intergalactic war between the Milky Way and Andromeda. Ma'am, remember this broadcast is supposed to create a warm, fuzzy feeling in listeners' hearts. Intergalactic wars, by and large, neither warm nor fuzzy. According to my notes, the majority of calls coming through pertain to Ace Galaxy's question. Does that mean a pair of microscopic tap shoes are a dinosaur-sized necklace? A little more information about the beings on Tralala would go a long way towards clearing up the confusion. As a consequence of having been created out of the recycling pile, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, beings on that planet have the ability to change shape. What's so confusing about that? Apparently a lot. The volume of calls just increased. I guess we're creating more questions than we're answering. Well, answer one of them and let's see what kinds of questions they've got. Giant Book of Destiny, fact checker Fran here. Is there a fact I can check for you? Yes. This is Set Asian from the underwater planet in the Canopus system. And I'd like to ask you to please stop all of this explaining. I haven't been able to find work for three years. And I could really use the part-time job. Next caller. If the beings on Tralala are made out of a little bit of this and a little bit of that, what does the dominant form of life on that planet look like? Are they a combination of fins and claws and spindles and leaves or what? Uh, no. Interestingly enough, against odds of 18 quintillion to one, the shape they're born into on their planet is identical to human beings on Earth. So they don't actually need to change shape when they go to Earth, wherever the black fires of sandwich that is. Uh, no. They must change shape, otherwise they'll immediately be pegged as aliens and end up on the dissecting table of local authorities. You just said against odds of a billion to one they look like human beings, whatever they look like. Against odds of 18 quintillion to one. Yes. They look like humans, but they don't move like them. They don't walk or run or saunter. 
So what do they do? Crawl? No, they dance. The dominant life forms are called tralala dancers because they dance everywhere they go. Why were the tap shoes so small then? Well, because during Earth's primordial period, life was microscopic. In order to confirm that there was any life at all, the Trellilla dancer had to shrink down to find it. So, one of them shrunk down, left the shoe behind, and contaminated the history of another planet, instead of just using a magnifying device to look for microscopic life? Yes! You're telling me a bunch of witless... Uh, rhythmically inclined. Rhythmically inclined beings' destiny was to travel all over the galaxy without ever having invented something as simple as Google trauma la Destiny really is the disorganized, mismanaged mess I always suspected it was. Hmm. Done? Uh, no. They're still asking about the tennis ball that was hanging around the dinosaur's neck. That's energy ball that was hanging around the dinosaur's neck. Potato, potato. What's the difference? Well, although the energy ball plays a mean game of tennis, its main function is as a portable energy supply. Explain it, but be quick. Just because we have eternity spread out before us... Doesn't mean I have time to waste on this. Oh, wait, ma'am. I've located the moment in time that will explain everything. Tony Slizzingtorn and his sister Sue have just exited the cobbler shop where Tony was getting new taps put on his shoes. Stop shuffling along, Sue. We need to hurry back to the transport and get home before it rains. What is it with you and rain, Tony? Every time a cloud passes by one of the suns, you want to quick-step it inside. Well, whenever I'm outside, a storm suddenly appears in the sky, and I feel like I'm being stalked or something. The lightning the lightning wants to strike me. <laughs> don't be ridiculous, Tony. Storms don't suddenly appear in the sky, and lightning can't purposely strike anyone. Anyway, this is the side street where we parked our transport. We'll be home in 15 minutes. Where, where, where's the transport, Sue? Oh, no. They must have towed it away to make room for this impromptu parade. Oh, Come on, we'll have to get home on foot. Sue, what are you waiting for? The band sounds really good. Oh, how about we stay and watch the parade and then go home? Giant Book of Destiny here with an interesting bit of alternate future history. If Tony had listened to his sister and watched the parade, the music would have so mesmerized him, at its end he would have spun off obliviously. Uh, according to my notes, he would have spun directly into an open manhole, where he would have drowned in the sewage. Lightning would have continued to strike other people, but none would have reacted in the same way as Tony Slizzingtorn and the destiny of Tralala and countless other planets, including Earth, wouldn't have played out the way it was originally written in the giant book of destiny. Sue, will you please cut it out with the grand taste? There's no one here to impress, just me and you and the empty field between us and home. We have to hurry before the storm breaks. Oh, and you think swiveling hips and shimmying your shoulders accompanied by tapping shoes is better? For your information, tapping doesn't work on grass. Besides, look up. There isn't a red storm cloud in sight. What? Oh, hey, you're right. It's, it's beautiful out here. Wait, where did all those angry red storm clouds suddenly come from? Hurry, Sue, we have to get home now! I'm swiveling my hips and shimming my shoulders as fast as I can, Tony, but this just isn't an effective means of locomotion! If only we were racehorses, we'd be able to dash across this field to the safety of home. 
I've never seen so much lightning flashing in the sky. Oh, Tony, watch out! Hey, where did that racehorse come from? Tony? Tony, where are you? Wow, I've never shimmied so fast in my life. Hold on. I'm not shimmying, I'm running. I'm running on four legs. I'm a racehorse. Well, it's about bloody time. We've been trying to get a message to you for the longest time. Who said that? Where are you? Look up. Up here. The lightning. Lightning? L- lightning can't talk. Well, no kidding. Lightning can't talk. I'm not talking. That's an inefficient means of communication. Words and sentences lead to way too many misunderstandings. This is a transmission of information from one life force to another. Why did you have to strike me then? Why couldn't you just communicate with me in this way in the first place? Oh, for God's sake. If I didn't strike you, you wouldn't have had sufficient energy to receive my communication. Well, you wouldn't have turned into a racehorse either. You did this? Listen, there are a few things you planet dwellers need to know, and you were chosen as the messenger. Huh? Why me? Well, after much deliberation and rumination, your name was chosen completely at random. (laughs) Have the taps in my shoes been transformed into horseshoes? Yes, they have. There's been a complete transformation. Allow me to explain. Because our planet came into existence when a meteor crashed through God's recycling pile, and everything's made up of the same basic stuff, that means with enough energy, anything can communicate with or recycle into anything else. You mean anything can recycle into anything else? Oh, thank goodness I think you're actually paying attention. Oh, there's only one caveat, though. Only creatures capable of feeling guilty for something they once did by accident have enough self-awareness to actually change into something else. On Tra-La-La, there are only two life forms with that capacity. Tra-La-La dancers and deep ocean rock suckers. But no deep ocean rock sucker has ever had the inclination to do anything else but suck rock. Since lightning provided just the right jolt for a tralala dancer or deep ocean rock sucker to change shape, energy balls were created to house the storm. There, that's how energy balls came into existence. Direct the broadcast back to Ace Galaxy so I can finish up with the intergalactic war. Where is he now? Well, he and Yasmin Stanislavski, uh, she being the paleontologist who first discovered Eve, who in turn was the first ever velociraptor with feathers, it's a complicated... Thing. Uh, anyways, look, they've just, um, <clears throat> consummated their relationship. Wow, that's a better way of emptying my mind of unnecessary thoughts than knitting. It's what's wrong. Nothing's wrong. My empty head suddenly started filling up with answers. Yasmin, I have to get into the heart of the storm. What? You're leaving already? Don't you want to, um, cuddle for a bit? No. Yes. Where's my knitting bag? I need that tennis ball you found in the necklace Eve was wearing. You want to play tennis? No. When I first heard what sounded like a storm in this ball, I thought it was odd. Probably an insignificant consequence of the air inside it being compressed and buried for so long. But now I believe it's more than that. Whatever's causing that sound is the key to our investigation. Okay, so we'll break it open later. It's already held its shape for 70 million years. Breaking it open may not be that easy. If we can't do it, you can always take it back to the boys in the lab. Besides, I have other things in mind for you. 
Throw the ball here, Kimasami. There's no disputing the fact that there's a storm in that there ball. But like we told you before, Padre, we can't cut it open because that would be tampering with the evidence. Boys, don't think of this as tampering with evidence. Somewhere inside the storm raging away in there is the answer to where those undifferentiated cells came from. Could be. And why they never bothered to differentiate themselves. Yep, but the chief told us to lasso this case and put it in a bed in the stable. I did not. Not you! Listen, no matter what kind of fancy headdress you like to wear, you're still not a chief. You're just an Indian. Oh! Boys, are you saying you're willing to lie to close this case? Oh! No one said anything about lying there, buckaroo. When you don't tell the whole truth, you're lying by omission. By not cutting open the ball, we're not studying all the evidence. An honorable brave always seeks the truth. That's right. And not investigating all the evidence is the same as lying by omission. That's tampering with it in the worst way. sheriff in town. Let's see that there bouncing rascal. Now, you already tried stabbing it, sawing it, and running over it with a car. Sounds like the plot of that movie we saw last week, eh, Stephen? <laughs> Do you boys have any idea what else we can try? We, we can, can try, try shooting, shooting it. Ace, don't, don't agree, agree to this. To shooting it won't work. But maybe but after it doesn't, it doesn't work, work, they'll agree to try something else. else. Okay. Let's try shooting it. Stefan, you get the... Pole for the floor. You get... A pole for the ceiling. I've got to hand it to you, boys. I never have thought of constructing a clamp between two poles like this. That is a fine piece of machinery. What's going on? Hey, what are you doing with that gun? What are you doing with that arrow? Boys, lower your weapons before someone gets shot. The last thing we want here is an incident of accidental fratricide. Oh, you know, that dang varmint stole my idea. Lying pale face. Relax, boys. The ball's not going anywhere. We can give both the gun and the arrow a try. I want to go first. Ace, get out of my way. What the hell you think you're doing? I'm going first. Wait, boys. Why don't we just flip a coin to see who goes... Ow! Steven, what happened? I got shot. Ace, that heap big baby shot me. You shot him? Shot him? I did not shoot him. I shot the dang ball. Oh, forget that crying Indian. There's an arrow sticking out of my damn leg. That coward shot me while I had my back turned. I did not shoot you. I shot the ball. Look at what you have done to my arm. It is filled with bullet. I don't think either of you shot the other. If I didn't get shot, then why does my arm feel like it is burning with great wild fire? Well, listen. An arrow ripping into your leg hurts way more than a measly bullet in the arm. I realize you both got shot, but I don't think you shot each other. If they have to amputate my arm, Mom's going to be really mad at you. Oh yeah? Well, if, if they can't save my leg, Dad's gonna kill you. From what I saw, the arrow Steven shot ricocheted off the ball, bumped into something invisible in midair, then flew back until it was intercepted by Stefan's leg. Blah, 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 blah. Are you just gonna stand there babbling away? Or are you going to call an ambulance? Because yeah, I don't know whether you know noticed it or not. But we have been shot. The invisible something the arrow bumped into must have been the bullet on its way back from ricocheting off the ball before it continued on its course to Stephen's arm. Ace! I heard a weapon was discharged down here in the lab. Do you know how much paperwork I'm gonna have to read because of this? Actually, two weapons were discharged, but Stephen and Stefan are okay. Who are you? Uh... I've seen you somewhere before. Well, I'm Yasmin Stanislavski. The paleontologist who uncovered the first evidence of dinosaur jewelry. Oh, right, yeah. What are you doing here? 
Well, I rushed over after Ace called to tell me the boys in the lab were shocked. Like I told you on the phone, Yasmin, everyone's okay. There was no reason for you to come all the way over here. Well, yes, there was. I was worried you'd keep trying to break that ball open on your own. With all the commotion, I haven't had time to do anything else yet. Ace, please, just forget about trying to get inside Eve's ball. It's dangerous. CSIS agents aren't afraid of danger. They're trained to laugh in the face of it. Ace, sign off on the report about the shooting for me. I don't want to risk a paper cut. Two people have already gotten injured trying to break that ball open. I have a really bad feeling something worse could happen if we don't stop this right now. Someone could get killed. Ace, quit walking around that crazy contraption staring at the ball. Listen to your girlfriend, wrap this case up, read all the paperwork for me, and then file it! Oh, it's really coming down out there. I love the sound of a storm. Except the one in that tennis ball. Would you mind if I open the window? Where's that Indian, Stefan? Steven's the Indian. Stefan is the cowboy. They're both in the hospital. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, when they get out, tell whichever one of them is the Indian to clean up his toys before he leaves the lab. Chief, they left in an ambulance. I don't care if they left in a hearse. It's no reason to leave a mess. Every time I come down here, I find feathers that have fallen out of Stefan's headdress. Steven's headdress. Ace, would you quit staring at that ball as if it contains the answers to the greatest questions in the universe? Put it down and help me clean up this mess. Is it a coincidence that the only dinosaur ever found with an ornament around its neck was also the first one to wear feathers? The listening audience can't see what's going on. Fact checker Fran, describe the scene for them. I'm sorry, ma'am, but even if the listening audience was in the same room with Ace, and assuming they could see over the heads of everyone else, I don't think anyone would have detected what just happened. The only reason I know is because I read it in my notes. Uh, for just a second, after Ace asked if it was just a coincidence that the only dinosaur ever found with an ornament around its neck was also the first one to wear feathers, the storm inside the energy ball pushed against Ace's fingertips. I can't stand here listening to this drivel. Miss Stanislavski, shall we go see if we can find a kettle? You can make yourself some tea and I'll go get my portable tub out of the car and soak my feet. We'll be back in a few minutes, Ace. Don't do anything rash while we're gone. Things are about to get pretty exciting in the lab. Friends, see what Ace is doing? He's just standing there holding the energy ball in one hand and the necklace in the other, blinking about twice as fast as people normally blink. He's also making an impression on an intelligence from Tralala. Uh, ma'am, there's no one else in the lab with Ace. Frank Figgledee Dee won't be arriving on Earth for over two months. You're forgetting about the lightning in the energy ball. That lightning is at this moment making a connection with Ace's skin cells and wants to say hi to the rest of them. Uh, how can the lightning communicate with Ace? He's not made up of particles from Tralala like Tony Slizzingtorn. What? Of course he is. God used a recycling pile for both building materials and as a destination for leftovers during Earth's seven-day construction. There's a lot of existence out there, but it's really all just part of one thing parceled out and repackaged in different forms. Like they say on Rigel 3, same excrement, different carrying vessel. Oh, okay. It's all starting to make sense now. But there's just one more thing I don't understand. According to my notes, Tralala energy balls are constructed to keep the lightning storm inside. How did Ace get it out of the ball? He didn't. The lightning wants to get out, so the exterior of the ball won't do anything to stop it. Ah! 
shape-changing aliens? Is this where the broadcast ends? It's me. Oh, thank God you're awake. Dr. McCoy, code red room 1701. Where am I? Well, you're in the hospital. Dr. McCoy, you are urgently needed in room 1701. Here, drink this. You must be parched. You haven't had anything to eat or drink in a week. A week? You've been in a coma for a week. According to the doctors, it was a crapshoot whether or not you'd ever wake up again. Dr. McCoy. What happened? Well, you were in the lab trying to figure out how to break open the 70-million-year-old tennis ball. Ball? Yes, you know, the one that was found in the extraterrestrial necklace hanging around the neck of the velociraptor I dug up. You were trying to figure out how to break it open when you were struck by lightning. Dr. McCoy, where are you? Everyone's been trying to figure out how it could possibly have happened. The chief asked CSIS special agent Alexa Von Lucy, Grand Duchess of Bigger, to investigate, and she determined the lightning must have come in through the open window, slashed through the ball you were holding in your hand, then struck you in the heart. No. Yes, the doctors are calling your survival a miracle. Dr. McCoy, your presence is no longer required in room 1701. How am I supposed to get any work done on the chapter I'm editing regarding the collision of the Andromeda and Milky Way galaxies for the giant book of destiny? It's about the broadcast, ma'am. The one we're running to demonstrate the infinite, all-knowing workings of destiny by focusing on the life of a single individual? The one featuring CSIS Special Agent Ace Galaxy, yes. Nothing more of interest is going to happen in the hospital where he is now. Well, except for a press conference called to determine which demographic is most at risk for contracting and spreading the superbug epidemic currently running rampant through the facility. According to my notes, a hospital official will shrug and say, and I quote, Who knows why shit happens? Life's a crapshoot. You're right. There's no need to stay here. Ace won't tell Yasmin anything important until they're alone in her apartment. Relocate the broadcast to Yasmin's living room when Ace is trying to figure out how to explain what really happened with the lightning. Are you comfortable, Ace? Can I get you anything? A cup of tea, a glass of water, heartburn medication? No, no, I'm fine. I'm just really glad to be out of that hospital. So what was it you wanted to tell me? <sighs> that dinosaur you dug up and called Eve was actually named Karen. No. Um... I had a very interesting conversation with a bolt of lightning the other day. No. Well, I have some news. The University of Toronto called me a few days ago. They were so impressed with my discovery of Eve, the first feathered dinosaur, they asked if I'd like to head an expedition to Egypt to search for the lost dinosaurs there. 
Eve wasn't a dinosaur. What do you mean, Eve wasn't a dinosaur? She might have been an evolutionary link between dinosaurs and birds, but she was still a velociraptor. Only she had a plume of feathers and a necklace holding a tennis ball around her neck. Anatomically, Eve was every bit a dinosaur, with accessories. But she didn't originate on Earth. Eve was an alien dinosaur. Oh, so dinosaurs on other planets like to wear jewelry. I don't know if there are dinosaurs on other planets. Ace, you're not making any sense. Maybe we should go back to the hospital to make sure there was no permanent damage from the lightning strike. Yasmin, let me try and explain. I didn't get struck by lightning that came in through the window. The lightning that struck me came out of the ball. Out of the ball? You remember how you could hear what sounded like a storm when you held the tennis ball to your ear? Well, in the same way you can hear the ocean when you listen to a seashell. Of course, I remember. Seashells don't contain the ocean, but the ball actually contained a storm. That's crazy and impossible. A tennis ball cannot contain a storm any more than a seashell can contain an ocean. The planet Tralala came into existence after a comet crashed through one of God's recycling piles. As a result, the beings on that planet recognize their oneness with everything, and with enough energy, they can communicate with or recycle into anything else. Tralala is a stupid name for a planet. <laughs> you are making this up. No, I'm not. I've been told many times I have no imagination. <laughs> the lightning struck me because it wanted to say hi. I'm okay. I'm leaving. Where are you going to go? This is your apartment. Fine. You leave. Okay, but if I leave, you'll never hear what the lightning told me about your dinosaur. The lightning talked to you about Eve? Lightning can't talk. That's impossible. I received a communication from one life force to another. What did the lightning communicate to you about Eve? Karen. Who's Karen? Your dinosaur. Her name wasn't Eve. It was Karen. Okay, maybe you'd better start from the beginning. From what the lightning communicated to me, Tralala dancers have been visiting our planet since Earth was so young it was still getting the hang of spinning. Tralala dancers? Their astronauts are all dancers? The dominant life form on Tralala look exactly like human beings on Earth. The only difference is, instead of walking or running, they dance everywhere they go. Another life form evolved to look exactly like humans. <laughs> That's impossible. Improbable, yes, but with enough time and space to play with, not quite impossible. I don't know why I'm listening to this. A Tralala dancer was visiting Earth during its primordial period. There was no visible life on the planet at the time, so he shrunk down to microscopic size in case there was any life hiding out of sight. So they invented space travel, but they never managed to come up with a microscope. Maybe they just like changing shape. Anyway, amoebas are apparently pretty scary looking up close and giant-sized. The dancer left his shoe behind while trying to make a quick escape from the blobs of jelly that were sitting there jiggling menacingly at him. You're talking about the microscopic tap shoe Akhenaten Jones found in the Precambrian rock? Yes. Go on. So dinosaurs had been lumbering around at the top of the food chain on Earth for uncounted millions of years when a ship from Tralala dropped by to see if anything interesting was happening on this, as the lightning described it, remote spilled drop of the Milky Way. Captain's log. Stardate. Fred, what's the stardate? Sturdy? Oh, jeez, I'm not sure, eh? I, I don't know the stir date either, eh? But it's, um, Tuesday, I think. All right. Captain's log, stardate... Well, whatever. No one listens to these things anyway. We are doing a routine orbit around Earth, and nothing has changed here for millions of years. See anything new out the window, Fred? Uh, 
Oh, jeez. Giant sweeping herds of leaf eaters flowing across the land like a chomping river to their feeding grounds, eh? Oh, oh, voracious meat eaters crashing into them like like drunks after a party, eh? <laughs> so, like there's some roaring gory battles and, and clashes of claws and teeth and splattering blood. It's like a hockey game, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same scene as we've seen here for the last few million years. Nothing new to report. Fred, restart the engines. Wait, um, Jean-Jacques, um, I don't mean to be, like, presumptuous or, like, tell you to do your job or anything, but, um, shouldn't someone, um, stay behind to compile a report on the planet's development since we were last here? Fred! Who is this person? That's Karen Footglom, sir. She's on board as a tourist, eh? Well, please inform Miss Footglom that short of a gigantic meteor hurtling out of the farthest reaches of the galaxy and colliding into this planet, causing climactic calamity of an unprecedented degree, the scene here has no intention of ever changing. And tell her to only refer to me as Captain. Okay, Miss Footglom, I... Uh, I so- know, I heard him. Um, but my daddy paid wads and wads of money to get me on this stupid bucket of flying bolts. Did he? The money your daddy paid pretty much bankrolled this mission, eh? It, sir? And I didn't buy these new silver disco space boots just to sit on this boring old ship looking at a window. I want to go out there and shapeshift and stop time and masquerade as a local on an alien civilization and then brag about it to all my friends. <clears throat> um, excuse me, Miss Footglow. Fred, come over here. That bubblegum-blowing person over there is not qualified for a stay-behind mission. Those are reserved for specially trained biologists, anthropologists, and sociologists who've studied for years to become adept at blending in with the indigenous life on a planet without interfering in any way. That's true, but she's... Shh! But she's really annoying to have on board, eh? Jean-Jacques! Can I stay or can't I? Yeah, Captain, sure. We got a transmission coming in from the good ship Tango, eh? Fred, take that. This planet has already been surveyed over a hundred times. There's nothing new to learn, and there's really nothing this Karen person can possibly do to cause trouble. The place has been ruled by tiny-brained reptiles for millions of years, and will continue to be ruled by them for millions more. Wait, Jean-Jacques, as annoying as Karen is, can you in good conscience leave her behind? There won't be another ship in this system for at least six months. She couldn't possibly survive here alone. Gee, sir, Captain Madden Snort. Madden Snort. <laughs> Captain Madden Snort from the Tango wants to know if we can spare some smokes, eh? Madden Snort. <laughs> Their entire supply was dumped out of an airlock in a freak accident. Captain Madden Snort <laughs> says she can change course and swing by this planet by the end of the week if uh, we can leave a kilo or two of smokes for her. A week? Karen could survive on this planet for a week. Kilo or two of smokes in exchange for a ride for a bubblegum blowing, disco boot wearing, loudmouth tourist seems like a perfectly fair exchange in the grander order of things. Giant Book of Destiny here with a few interesting facts about the order of things. Go ahead, fact checker Fran, copy aid, explain. Uh, hold on a sec, I have to find that. Just flip back to the appendix. Oh, okay, got it. Sometimes, like when an entire civilization in a prosperous, well-meaning star system suddenly gets flesh-eating disease, existence seems utterly chaotic and pointless. Other times, like when a passing meteor slams into a planet that's been lying lifelessly dormant for eons and initiates the start of something that will one day produce a rose, it seems synchronistic and orderly. Through time and space, there are certain universal tenets. 
For example, no matter what the life form or political leaning of a planet's leaders, doctors follow a strict code of ethics, the first rule being do no harm. It says here in big black letters, civilized forward-thinking worlds also have a rule for ship's captains. Don't mess with the history of planets you visit. Uncivilized, backward-thinking worlds tend more towards conquer, subdue, and enslave or eat the inhabitants. In the universal game of tug-of-war, with forward-thinking worlds pulling for order and the backwards-thinking worlds tugging for chaos, a fine balance is achieved. Of course, the captain had no way of knowing the decision he was about to make would in short order break the first rule for captains and totally mess with the history of the Earth. Destiny out. Yeah, Karen, stay if you want. Whatever. Here, take this energy ball. You learned all about how these work in school, right? The live lightning inside the ball will provide enough energy for you to change shape or amplify your thoughts enough to reach a receiving station on Tralala if you need to call for a ride home. The good ship Tango will be here to pick you up at the end of the week. Say hello to Captain Maddensnort for me. Jerry, smokes, outside. Fred, prepare for takeoff. Finally, they're gone. Now, which dinosaur should I shapeshift into? One of those big green ones with the ginormous teeth over there? No, the only thing interesting about him are his teeth. Um, maybe one of the long-necked gray ones. Uh, no. This seemed like such a simple decision when I was daydreaming about telling Sue Ann about how much more interesting it was to stomp around as a dinosaur than hang out as a whiff of hydrogen on some stupid gas planet. But now that I'm out here with these big, loud, dim-witted beasts, it's like staring into a closet full of ugly, ill-fitting outfits without a dash of color to sparkle anything up. Two choices. Gray or green. Where's the funk? Where's the glamour? If the Tyrannosaurus Rex that's about to rip Karen to shreds had been one of the saber-toothed cats that will appear on this planet in a few million years, Karen would simply have been eaten where she stood, her final thought being, Where's the glamour? But Tyrannosaurs are not by nature quiet about, well, anything they do. So when you're about to be devoured by one, you have plenty of earth-shaking thumps, ear-popping roars, and teeth gnashing towards your face notice. Since the Tyrannosaur is making such a spectacle of himself, Karen has enough time to stop time and sidestep her imminent death. Uh, ma'am, listeners don't know about time stopping. Hmm. Fact checker Fran, explain. Oh, okay, that's probably back here in the appendix too. Uh, yep, got it. Stopping time might seem like a complicated thing to those who are stuck in it, but every school child on Tralala knows time is simply a perception of experience in sequential order. Hold on. Uh, yeah, I lost my spot. So much for sticky notes. In time immemorial, all of time could be experienced at once, but everyone complained about the information overload, so the head honchos at the giant book of destiny decided to simplify things and sent out a mandate requiring all time to be experienced sequentially. Right. Since sequential time is little more than a dimension created to fulfill a mandate from head office, Tralala dancers have learned to alter their vibrational frequencies in order to switch dimensions by tapping into their inexhaustible supply of an energy ball. In different dimensions, time proceeds at different rates, and in some of them, time has stopped altogether. Now that I'm in this time stop dimension, I can see that this place is even more boring and pointless than looking out the window of a spaceship. 
Since these stupid dinosaurs are all as fungless as each other, it doesn't really matter which one of them I shift into. I guess that one suspended in midair, jumping over a rock looks pretty light on its feet. I'll shift into one of those, whatever they are. Comet the crash through the recycling pile! I can't hold my energy ball with these stupid claws! What did it say in that inane in-flight safety procedures presentation? And when shape-shifting into a creature without hands or pockets, remember to include a belt or harness to hold your energy ball. If you lose it, you'll be sorry. Belt or harness? Forget that. A necklace is way cooler. There, now the ball is safe and secure. Uh, I don't want to go out there with those gross green loudmouths. I'll just put my headphones on and boogie to some sweet tra-la-la tunes so I don't have to listen to them. Hey! Hey! Why don't I just wait in this time stop dimension listening to these tunes until the good ship Tango gets here? I wonder how long a week is when time is stopped. Okay, let's see. A minute when time is stopped would take... Um, forever. So ten minutes when time is stopped would take... Forever. And, and then a week when time is stopped would take... Oh my god, it would take forever! I might as well just get this over with. Maybe this shape's not so bad. Let's see, I have a nice tail. My arms are a little stubby. Hey, my feet aren't touching the ground! Remember, gravity may be different on other worlds. Shapeshifters must make a concerted effort to compensate to avoid detection. What do I care if these ridiculous reptiles notice my feet aren't quite touching the ground? What local authorities are they gonna report me to? I just wish there was something I could do about the way I look. Wearing green always makes me look, well, green. What about feathers? A plume of feathers would totally set off this gap. Wow, my favorite song, Crank It. Oh, there's an interesting note under the asterisk here. A very little-known fact about dinosaurs is how influenced they were by trends. If something caught on, like stubby arms paired with bone-crushing teeth, it could persist for millions of years. The feathers Karen sprouted along her back and arms may have started off as a trend for the fashion conscious, but for certain dinosaurs, it eventually took off as a whole new way of life. I guess the flamboyancy of a peacock and the flashiness of a flamingo can all wave a feather of thanks to Karen's sense of flair. Unfortunately, her sense of flair is also making Karen a flamboyant, flashy target for that Giganotosaurus coming up behind her. Had she compensated for the difference in gravity as stipulated in the in-flight safety procedures presentation, the ground-shuddering footfalls of his approach would have ruffled all of her new feathers. As it is, she's concentrated on a single thought. If only I had a mirror. As it turned out, the Giganotosaurus didn't like the taste of feathers and the headphones give him a tummy ache, so he left Karen where she lay and went off in search of less funky prey. From the time Karen set foot on Earth to the time she was summarily attacked and killed by a stubby-armed Giganotosaurus with bone-crushing teeth was approximately one hour. One hour was more than enough time to initiate the growth of a new limb on the tree of life on Earth and write one of the planet's greatest living poems. The evolution of hulking, thumping behemoths into lighter-than-air flights of fancy. Nicely said, ma'am. 71,985,344 years after Karen's death, while digging up the remains of the world's first feathered velociraptor, Yasmin Stanislavski will uncover what looks like a tennis ball in an inexplicable necklace. 
Is this your first time in Egypt? Yes, it's our first time. Ace, how is it possible to fit four lanes of traffic into two lanes? <laughs> Isn't there a law against horses and buggies and cars and motorcycles and uh, donkeys? All trying to occupy the same spot at once? Ace, how can you sit there knitting so calmly when this cab driver obviously has so little regard for human or <laughs> camel life? Yasmin, do you remember our taxi ride from the airport when that blue truck with a horse in the back came so close to our cab that the horse's tail flew into the window and whipped me across the face? Yes. That's when I realized the only way to avoid feeling mortally threatened while in a cab in Egypt was to knit. Where are you from, my friend? Americana? No, I'm from... No, 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 don't tell me. I guess, I guess. Inglese? No, please, don't take your eyes off the road to ask me questions. Yes, I'm so glad you decided to come with me while I search for the lost dinosaurs of Egypt. Fransawi? No, but you still haven't told me what the chief said about your report on alien artifacts from Tralala. Espanol! Canada. I'm sorry, Yasmin. I was under strict orders not to talk about the case to anyone. Why? The chief said it was a matter of national importance. Uh, Canada dry! Well, are you still under orders? No, I quit. You quit, Sisis? What happened? I stopped knitting and looked up just as we barely avoided knocking that kid off his KFC delivery bike. No, no. Why did you quit CSIS? Oh, after the chief showed the report to the head honchos at head office, he asked me if anyone else had seen it. I told him no one had seen it yet, but I planned to go to all the major newspapers with definitive proof that we are not alone in the universe. That Earth has been visited by beings from another planet twice that we know of, probably many more times than that. And if there's one other civilization out there, there must be millions more. Captain Kirk. The HHHO had a problem with your report? According to the chief, information regarding life that may or may not exist off this planet is classified, and visits from existent and non-existent off-world life forms is extremely classified. Not only is it illegal for me to talk about it, it's also highly unpatriotic. Unpatriotic? A special agent from CSIS proposing the infinity of space contains something other than endless amounts of nothing, except pretty stars and empty planets all sitting up there only for Earth's amusement? Canada would become the laughingstock of the rest of the world. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Maybe the source of some snide snickering, but surely not the laughingstock. Maple syrup. People who believed me would start making a lot of noise, saying it was time to stop focusing on our differences and recognize that we're one big extended bickering family one of an incalculable number in existence. It would become a turning point in our collective viewpoint, same as when Galileo used the telescope to show us our place in the cosmos. Fence-sitters would start questioning beliefs they never bothered thinking about. Then all that thinking would infuriate staunch believers, especially the ones who never thought about anything. Hockey night in Canada! But people have the right to know. Certain individuals can't decide what the rest of the world can or cannot handle. That's why I quit. Well, if you quit, then what stopped you from going to the press anyway? All my evidence was in the file I handed over to the chief, and the file is the property of CSIS. That evidence is the property of the whole world. City TV everywhere. Was. It's already been destroyed. When I left, the chief was in the process of filing my report. The only problem was he couldn't decide whether it should go in the giant red filing cabinet marked hoaxes and crackpot allegations or the one marked impossible, unbelievable, and unsolvable. If I go to the press now, I'll just be another crackpot with an unsubstantiated, unbelievable story. Canada, 
the second largest country in the world, stretching from the Atlantic Ocean in the east to the Pacific Ocean in the west. In between mountain ranges, punch holes in the sky, endless prairies so flat you can watch your dog run away for over a week, and vast green seas of undulating forests that spend their time sighing at their own magnificence. What did you say? Royal Canadian Mountain Police. But what are you going to do now, Ace? For now, I'm going to hang around with you while you search for the lost dinosaurs. I don't have any other plans. Something will turn up. At least we know the truth, Yasmin, and that's something they can never take away from us. Putin, Tabarnak! What Ace doesn't know is that prior to destroying all his evidence, the head honchos at CSIS shared his findings with the head honchos at other spy organizations around the world. The consensus is the information Ace has uncovered must be kept secret at all costs. Ace is now officially under surveillance. If he tries to share what he knows with the press, he will be stopped permanently. Uh, yes, and Yasmin, since she knows what Ace knows, her destiny is irrevocably tied to his. Whatever happens to him will also happen to her. Destiny out. Copy aid, what are you pushing along in that wheelbarrow? <clears throat> Letters to the editor. <clears throat> At the giant book of destiny. Letters of thanks? How lovely. I'm the editor-in-chief. Bring them here. They're they're not letters of thanks, ma'am. These letters are from disgruntled listeners to our broadcast. Oh. Are they about CSIS Special Agent Ace Galaxy? The the alien dinosaur? The tralala shapeshifter that left a microscopic tap shoe on Earth? Uh, nope. These letter writers have complaints about their own lives. The purpose of this broadcast is to illustrate the well-thought-out plans of destiny by highlighting the life of an individual. In this case, CSIS agent Ace Galaxy. Destiny does not answer complaints, nor does it take requests. Turn your wheelbarrow around and redirect the broadcast to Ace. Fact-checker Fran, where is he now? Uh, let's see. Oh! It looks like Ace and Yasmin are in Diggers, the renowned bar in Cairo where all the archaeologists, paleontologists, treasure hunters, and history buffs go to hang out at the end of the day. Good. They're with archaeologist Alexander Van Dyck? Everyone is in their predetermined place, beginning the discourse that's going to lead to one of the most significant discoveries ever made on Earth. Yes, ma'am. Still losing that game of dinosaur hide-and-seek, Miss Stanislavski? <laughs> Haven't found sign of tooth or claw. How about you, Alex? Any more success than usual today, finding the burial chamber that <laughs> doesn't exist? Waiter, can I have some more hot coals for my shisha, please? <laughs> more hot coals? Isn't this place sweltering enough without adding burning coals to the oven? Have you tried shisha? This one has a delightful apple flavor. Here, take a pull. No! Thank you, Alex. There's already so much smoke in here from shishas at every table, it looks like there's a carpet suspended above us. Well, you didn't answer my question. Are you still a treasureless treasure hunter? Ah, my quest is like searching for a golden grain of sand in the endless desert. What about your knitting friend here? What's he searching for? Ace, nothing. He came to Egypt to keep me company on my search. 
When we were in the desert the other day, he became so captivated by the image of the sun setting behind the pyramids, he wanted to capture it in a way that would be most meaningful to him. <laughs> uh, knitted mural. That's ridiculous. But perhaps not more so than searching for the lost dinosaurs of Egypt underneath the endlessly shifting blankets of sand. God, this heat is unbearable. The waiter, could I have a glass of water, please? No, wait, two. Your friend there can't order his own water. Oh, just of course he can. These are both for me. Hey, be careful. Don't you put that water down on my map. You'll smudge it. Waiter, wait, wait. Could I have another glass of water, please? I'm using this map to divide the desert into quadrants, but you know I am really getting sick and tired of traipsing around out there in this bone-melting heat day after day. Yasmin, why have your feet relocated themselves from under the table to the top of it? Do you know how hot your feet get in desert boots? I, I hate these things. Searching for the lost dinosaurs was a stupid idea. One that makes me want to just give up paleontology altogether and join the family business. What's your family business? Unemployed acting. Ah, uh, I'm afraid that last glass of water has smudged your map. What? Oh no! <laughs> oh, yes! Miss Stanislavski, if you crumple up your precious map and throw it over your shoulder, it won't be of much use to you on your search. I've decided my search is over. <laughs> Give me a pull of that flavored smoke. Ooh, it's... it's apples. It's actually quite lovely. <laughs> so... What about you? What made you think you could find something 4,500 years worth of experts say doesn't exist? The sarcophagus in what everyone calls the king's burial chamber in the Great Pyramid of Giza. Well, what about it? It was furnished out of a hunk of red granite so massive it had to be hollowed out right there in the chamber during the construction of the pyramid because it would have been impossible to get through the entrance once the pyramid was built. So they were thinking ahead. Oh, what's wrong with that? So they didn't even bother hollowing it out enough to hold the king's body without crunching his legs into the fetal position. Plus, no lid was ever found. Why would the pharaoh go to all the trouble of building the tallest structure in the world as a headstone only to spend eternity in a cramped sarcophagus without even a lid for some privacy? Your point... I believe what everyone calls the king's burial chamber with the ill-conceived sarcophagus is nothing but a symbolic resting place. One that doubled as a decoy for thieves. I've come to the conclusion that the idea was to lure grave robbers and pillagers into the decoy king's burial chamber with some paltry trinkets, while all the while the king and all his treasure were safely entombed in a sublime, impossible-to-locate resting spot. If the sublime resting spot is so impossible to locate, what makes you think you can find it? Ah, your friend with the dexterous fingers also has a voice. Mm. I believe I can find it because I'm an optimist by nature. As helpful as an optimistic outlook is, it's not the secret to success. In order for success to do its business, optimism needs to be paired with know-how. Oh, I know how, all right. I'll have you know I'm not just a run-of-the-mill treasure hunter whose imagination is bigger than his determination. I am a doctor of archaeology. The tomb isn't sick, it's hidden. I have immersed myself in everything there is to know about Old, Middle, and New Kingdom Ancient Egypt. I'm an accomplished reader and writer of hieroglyphics, one of the select few archaeologists that's ever been granted special permission from the Supreme Council of Antiquities to conduct my search in the pyramid, as long as I don't cut through any walls or get in the way of the daily tours. How many mysteries have you solved? 
What's that got to do with anything? This isn't about reading the hieroglyphic shopping lists on temple walls or quibbling over which kingdom an artifact originated from. This is about solving a puzzle. Getting into the heads of the builders, picking up the clues that were invariably left behind and interpreting them. I'm a doctor of archaeology, not a detective. You Neanderthal. You know, Alexander, Ace here may be able to help you solve the mystery of the location of that non-existent burial chamber. Ooh, I love the way Ace's forehead shadows his eyes in this light, like a big, handsome Neanderthal. I can't wait to get out of here and get even more hot and sweaty. No offense, Ace, Neanderthal. But locating a chamber time has kept hidden in vaults for thousands of years requires a slightly more extensive skill set than choosing the correct color of wool for the next stitch. Ace used to be a member of CSIS. Solving mysteries is his specialty. One of his specialties? What the hell, CSIS? The Canadian Security Intelligence Service. Oh, was it where Canadians had intelligence? Why aren't you with intelligence anymore? We had a difference of opinion. Waiter, more coals for my shisha, please. Waiter, waiter, wait, wait. Please take these desert boots away. I won't be needing them anymore. Ace, let's get out of here. I have a new mystery for you to uncover. You know, Ace, archaeologists are as common as priceless artifacts around here. But a detective, that's a rare find. Perhaps those sleuthing skills of yours could help me find that elusive burial chamber. There, mural's done. Sorry, I can't help you, Alexander. I'm out of the detective business. Besides, Yasmin and I have more pressing matters to attend to. Ace? What are you doing with that child in your arms? I don't know. I was spreading out my arms to show you my mural when this child landed in them. Like it was my destiny to catch him. But he was obviously crawling around in the open beams up there. He must have slipped. He's lucky you caught him. Allah! Alexander, what did he say? Something about not being able to hold on to the beams because of all the smoke. Well, is he okay? Ask him if he's okay. Ask him his name. Poor little thing, he's so skinny. What's your name, street urchin? Bashir, and a mishmin walad el shawera. Okay, Bashir. Nice of you to have dropped in, but now it's time to get back outside where you belong. Alexander, where do you think you're taking that child? Waiter, bring us some kofta. Oh! And a salad. Yasmin, what about the mystery you wanted me to uncover? For some strange reason, this pathetic-looking tile just landed here in our midst. We can't just leave as if nothing happened. We have to feed him. Falling out of the beams of a ceiling. Some of these kids will go to any lengths for your sympathy. Yasmin, there are millions of tiny, skinny children out there. You can't feed all of them. Well, this one is here, and I'm going to feed him. Over here, waiter. And a mishat Ali. And a regular Alexander, what did he say? He said he's a businessman. You shouldn't feed him. He makes far more money being skinny. What do you think, Ace? Can Yasmin solve all the world's problems one plate of kufta at a time? I don't know if the world's problems can be solved with kufta. But Yasmin is right. This child didn't just land in my arms for no reason. Bashir's falling out of the sky and causing the sun I knitted to go supernova must be some sort of sign. It's time for me to get out of the mural knitting business and back to detecting, the business I was trained to do. I'm going to help you locate that burial chamber, Alexander. Bully, we start tomorrow. Are we all done here? We should all go home and get some sleep to get ready for the big day. You and me are going to make a great team, Ace. You, Ace, and uh, Bashir are going to make a great team. Bashir? Bashir? I'm hiring him as your assistant. 
He'll be helping you out while you're working in the pyramid. Alex, ask Bashir if he'd like another plate of kufta. How's the delightful Yasmin filling her dance card today, Ace? Same dance she's been doing every day since she got rid of her desert boots three days ago. Luxuriating under an umbrella at the hotel with a dedicated poolside waiter at her beck and call. Today she's got a four-hour hot stone massage scheduled in the you-want-pampering-how-much-have-you-got-to-spend spa. Ah, if hot stones were a choice of amusement, she could have joined us here. I said the same thing. But she said lying on dirty hot stones in a pyramid was the exact opposite of paying someone gobs of money to lay muddy hot stones on her back. Speaking of lying on hot stones, are you sure the Supreme Council of Antiquities doesn't mind that you're lying in that gigantic sarcophagus? Of course not. I'm doing research. With a pillow behind your head. There's no reason I should be uncomfortable. And a rubber duck in your hand? Well, if this thing wasn't so cramped, it would make a right proper bathtub. Do you think they'd let me fill it with water? Alexander, your teaching our young assistant here words like tour and tea has been quite helpful. Where's my clipboard? Do I look impressive standing here at the wall? I, I like to look official when the tours come through. You should put the rubber duck in your pocket. You should get up off the floor and stop knitting. It's no wonder I've never heard of Canadian intelligence. All you've done so far is stare at the sarcophagus and knit. I've never dealt with anything so hideously devious before. People who created their plans in the time before TV and the internet... Streams of time with nothing to do but give their full attention to what they were doing. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to say we've arrived. The one, the only, the magnificent King's Burial Chamber. This is it? We came all the way through that long, cramped tunnel to see a room containing nothing but an empty coffin. Well, of course, that was probably treasure in here at one time, but it was plundered thousands of years ago. You could have told us there was nothing in here before you took our money for the tour. You never asked. Why is that man with the largest forehead sitting on the floor knitting? Oh, never mind him. He's just some crackpot looking for a non-existent burial chamber. He may be a crackpot, but he's an unusually accomplished knitter. Go! He's the most interesting thing in here. Let's go. Tea? No, thank you, Bashir. Why don't you just play with your ball for a while? If that little bastard bounces his foam ball anywhere into my sarcophagus, I'm not going to give it back. How'd he learn the word ball anyway? Did you teach him? No, he must have figured it out himself. I cannot begin to fathom why you insist we spend our days inside this chamber. Oh, here you go, little ducky. Take a dip in the water. We could also sit around not doing anything in the empty corridor or the empty queen's chamber that's closed off to the public. At least in there, we wouldn't constantly have to put up with the charade of doing something fascinating for all the bloody tourists. Those rooms have nothing in them. This one has a clue. We just have to figure out what it means. There's nothing to figure out. I told you it's a symbolic resting place. <sighs> I'm going to take a nap. Bashir, don't forget to let me know when the next tour comes through. Bashir doesn't speak English. If you want him to do something, speak to him in Arabic. El Tayaban El Cobra Hayibla El Bata. Bashir, get away from there. What's the matter? I was just pretending to be a cobra. I would have given Sadak back. I'm a beggar, not a thief. You speak English. What do you expect? Hanging around here with nothing to do but listen to the two of you for the past three days. 
I don't have a TV or internet at home. My mind is an absorbing sponge. Ace, what are you doing on the floor beside that rapscallion? It's filthy down there. Alexander, have you noticed the scrapes on the floor? I'm searching for a secret passage locked behind a wall somewhere in this vast geometric wonder. Why would I waste my time looking at the bloody floor? Have a look. I'm not getting out of my tub to crawl around there like an insect. From here, it just looks like the floor got scratched when they dragged in this colossal hunk of granite in the first place. A little assistant here must have cleaned the spot on the floor while he was preparing to attack my rubber duck. Bashir, go get me a wet cloth. Hurry, it's an emergency. Why are you cleaning the floor? If the dirt really bothers you, you should get a little assistant here to clean it. And you, Vagabond, you just handed Ace the shirt that was on your back. And who's Manir? Mr. Ace asked for a wet cloth, so I couldn't just give him my shirt the way it was. I had to wet it first. Manir is one of the boys selling water outside. Thirty pounds? That's robbery. That's the price and an emergency. Oh, and fifty pounds for my shirt. Thief? No, no, no! Businessman! The floor didn't get scraped when they dragged in the colossal hunk of granite you're lying in. There's a groove worn into the floor that looks like it was created by something moving back and forth across it. Fascinating. <sighs> I'm going back to sleep. Uh, Mr. Ace, why are you running your fingers along the bottom of the coffin? Bashir, there are two small holes here. My fingers are too big to penetrate them. Go find me two skinny sticks. This is the desert. Lots of sand, no sticks. Here, let me see. No, wait. Bashir, don't stick your fingers in there. Did you hear that? Yes, I heard some sort of clicking noise, but nothing happened. Nothing happened that they could see. Giant Book of Destiny here to let you know that clicking was the sound of the release of an ancient locking mechanism. Explain, fact-checker Fran. It says here there's always been a radical fringe around that claimed the pyramid is too geometrically perfect to have been created by no-nothing ancient humans. The circumference of the thing equaling pi, the tip pointing to magnetic north, oh, and uh, the fact that it never fell down. Of course, everyone else realized that with human ingenuity, dedicated engineering, and an endless supply of paid and unpaid workers, anything was possible. Quite obviously, the radical fringe was correct. Just a second while I find the name of the guy that actually built the pyramids. It's Willie Hornsloff. Right! As Trollola's premier master builder, Willie Hornsloff had designed everything from private dwellings to grocery stores to the most magnificent dance halls on the planet. After being asked to design the most prestigious building the planet had ever seen for the fourth or fifth time, Willie found himself in bed with an intractable case of, is that all there is? Yeah, I've been there. The problem with being at the top of your game is, there's nowhere else to go. No matter where Willie traveled on Tralala, it was impossible for him to get inspired by something new because other master builders proved how innovative they were by copying old Willie Hornsloft designs. In order to help him get his mojo back, a visit to Earth was arranged. Civilization on Earth at that time was still so emerging, every design was being imagined for the first time. It was hoped that being there would help Willie get inspired all over again. Don't just talk about what happened, you two. Direct the broadcast to Earth just after Willie's ship has landed. Come on, Willie, let's figure out what shape to shift into and get you out there and inspired. Ugh, you go out there and tell me what you see. I just want to stay on this ship and sleep. 
You can't stay in bed forever, Willy. As soon as it was announced that Willy Hornschloff was going to design the new landing port for visiting dignitaries, the old landing port became hideous in comparison with what you were going to create, so it was torn down. You need to get your mojo back. Visiting dignitaries can't continue orbiting Tralala forever. All right, let's get this over with. The dominant life form out there looked just like us. Let's go. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't pretend to be humans. Even though they look like us, instead of dancing everywhere they go, they walk or run. It won't take long before we are pegged as aliens. And do you know what happens when they catch dancing aliens? Um, A, no. And B, I don't care. They toss them onto the dissecting table to see if they can figure out where the dead alien got his moves. We need to choose a different shape. Hey guys, I'm going out as a cat. Cats are considered sacred by the people of this land so they can wander around unmolested without worrying about being captured as food or pets. Plus, they're soft and they make a pleasant purring sound. Oh, yeah, wunderbar. Cats. We should go as cats. Willy? Willy, wake up! This is an interesting structure. I wonder where we are. Oh, a mouse! I'll be right back! Are any of these plans to your satisfaction, Pharaoh? How many times must I explain this? I don't just want another magnificent monument or 30-foot-tall statue. I want the grandest structure ever built. The grandest structure ever built on a planet that is yet to see a truly grand structure. Something that will carry my name into eternity. If none of you can come up with a plan for building it, I will find someone who can. I can design this eternity thing. Oh, wait a minute. Jenny and the rest of the crew would never let me stay here and build it because of those stupid rules about not interfering with the local culture and leaving no trace of our visit. I haven't been this inspired in years. If I go back with them, they're going to drain my creative juices into another useless landing port. I have to come up with a plan for staying here. Ah, I've got it. <clears throat> uh, Jenny? Jenny, where are you? Uh, we have to get out of here. I'm, 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 I'm not feeling well. I, I need to go back to the ship to take a, 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 a rest. Do-si-do and swing your partner round and round. What are the odds of a ship of gray aliens landing on this planet the same day we do? And of the captain throwing a party to celebrate? And making attendance mandatory for everyone? How can I come up with a plan for the eternal structure thing with all this damn noise? Then even if I do, how can I present it to the pharaoh in the shape of a cat? Ladies in Mansachet, now swing. I mean, the pharaoh would never take me seriously as a cat. Plus, building requires hands. Alamon left in the Alamon style. Circle left, circle right, then promenade home. Oh, I wish they'd stop square dancing. Oh, it must be really depressing to be as unattractive as those ugly greys and not have the ability to change shape. I mean, look at those bulbous, hairless heads on those stubby bodies, those oversized spooky eyes and those gangling, dangling arms that hang all the way down to their knees. If those are one of God's creations, God should have put a little more effort into it. Mind if I sit here? Do what you want. 
And, 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 would, would you mind not drumming your fingers on the table? It's terribly distracting. <gasps> fingers! Um, <clears throat> listen, have your people visited this planet often? Yes, quite often. Last time we were here, one of our scientists gave their king a recipe for insecticide to combat a locust invasion they were experiencing. So the people of this planet are not afraid of you? They don't dissect you? Dissect us? No, they usually invite us to tea. These greys obviously don't have any rules about staying out of the way of history or any qualms about leaving evidence of their visit behind. Shoot the star then, come on home! Pharaoh, can I have a second of your time? I told that grey guy that was here yesterday. I don't want any more insecticide. You grey aliens certainly are persistent. I'm not selling insecticide, your pharaohness. What are you selling, then? You ready for this? I am selling eternity. Eternity? That's right. Just give me five minutes of your time. Well, we can't talk about eternity standing out here in the doorway. Come in so we can talk somewhere more appropriate. Wow, this is a nice, comfy bed, Pharaoh. Yes, yes. Are those the plans for eternity on that rolled-up sheet of papyrus? You bet your sweet scepter they are. Let me see. What is this? I invite you to get cozy on my nice, comfy bed, and you have the gall to repay my hospitality by trying to pass off this stupid triangle as eternity. It's not a triangle, your majesty. It's a pyramid. What in Ra's name is a pyramid? Your pyramid will be so tall, its tip will reach into the heavens, where it'll touch the realm of the sun god Ra during the day and the goddess Nut at night. Its construction will require over two million really heavy limestone blocks. It'll be 280 royal cubits tall and 440 royal cubits around. Apira, what do you say? Has anyone ever built one before? Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh, it'll be the first of its kind. Once everything was complete, Willie had all the machines he constructed to build the pyramids dismantled and smelted back down to their original constituents. Willie Hornsloff was a recycler by nature. The last piece of unrecycled material was the release that just clicked on the ancient locking mechanism in the sarcophagus. Uh, what are we waiting for? Why aren't we redirecting the broadcast ace to see if we can figure out what the sound was? We're out of time. Wait, is he going to figure it out? Are they going to find the burial chamber? What will happen if the whole world finds out that the pyramids really were built by aliens? Are the spy organizations around the world still watching Ace's every move? Why, why don't you just check your notes? I can't find my notes. They're lost. <laughs> what are you smirking about? <gasps> you stole my notes! What's gonna happen? <laughs> You'll just have to tune in next week, <laughs> like everyone else. He looks pretty comfortable lying there with his rubber duck resting on his chest, Bashir. Uh, yes, but what about that clicking sound we heard when I stuck my fingers into those two holes you found at the foot of that sarcophagus he's napping in? It's true we heard a strange sound, but nothing happened. We still don't have any evidence as to whether or not there actually is another hidden burial chamber in this pyramid. Let's let Alexander sleep until we find something worth reporting. You're the one with Canadian intelligence. <laughs> <laughs>
Not anymore. I quit CSIS several weeks ago. I'm not with any intelligence now. Uh, what are you doing? I'm running my fingers along the bottom of the sarcophagus. We already found two small holes. Let's see if we can find any other anomalies. There's nothing along this side. What about your side, Mr. Ace? No, nothing yet. Wait, Bashir! Here, at the head of the sarcophagus, two more tiny holes. Tiny holes the size of my little fingers? Go ahead, Bashir. Work your magic. Stand back! Something's happening this time! What should we do, Mr. Ace? Since it's on wheels, I think we should push it. Editor-in-Chief of the Giant Book of Destiny here to clarify what exactly is happening for those who can only hear, not see, this broadcast. Copy aid, fact-checker Fran? A set of four small wheels, two under the head of the sarcophagus and two under the foot, dropped down. Uh, it says here they were the only bit of machinery that Willie Hornsloff, the tra dancer who built the pyramid while in the shape of a gray alien, didn't recycle at the end of the project. Wow, this rolls as easily as a toy truck! Mr. Ace, watch out! Whoa, what a crazy place to put a deep, dark stone staircase. Bashir, go get a flashlight and tell them to hold all tours. Could I make a small suggestion? Keep it down! How am I supposed to nap with all this shouting? Alexander, get up. We found something. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I always knew there was another burial chamber hidden in here. Give me the torch, Bashir. Flashlights are a hot commodity around here. It's going to cost you 700 pounds. Thief! Businessman! Let it be known. But after 4,500 years in darkness, Alexander Von Dick was the first person to bring light to the king's true burial chamber. Wow. Whoa. Wow. There's enough gold in here to turn a gold mine green with envy. Hold on. Don't go any further. We have to wait right here at the bottom of the staircase without touching anything. This is an official archaeological site, property of the Supreme Council of Antiquities. It is to be photographed and catalogued exactly as it is. I wish Yasmin was here How to see this. How much could an entire burial chamber full of priceless artifacts be worth? Wow! Look at that! Bashir, what are you doing? Come back here! I'm not going to steal anything. I told you I'm a beggar, not a thief. I just want to play with this ball. A tennis ball? Oh, no. Do you know what that means? I'm not the first one to discover this burial chamber. A tennis player was here first. Being the second person to make the world's most exciting discovery since the last world's most exciting discovery is like coming in second in the world's greatest hot dog eating championship. Who cares? Bashir, let me see the ball. Why are you holding that thing to your ear? It's a tennis ball. What on earth do you expect to hear in there? Nothing on earth. It's just as I suspected. This ball wasn't left behind by a tennis player. It was left by the alien who built the pyramid. An alien! That's even worse than the tennis player. Who the hell is going to care about my discovery when word gets out that the pyramid was built by aliens? This is the worst day of my life. If I keep this tennis ball, then no one will know. You'll get your burial chamber and I'll get the proof that I need that we are not alone in the universe. 
Ace, it's so dark in here, I can't even see my hands in front of my face. Why does the chief want to meet in this rundown Mexican restaurant on the outskirts of Ottawa? Yes, I mean, I know there's a crooked sign outside that says good Mexican food, but it's not really a restaurant anymore because it's been taken over as a front for secret ceases out of the way meetings. Well, from the outside, it still looks like a restaurant. <laughs> a decrepit, bug-infested, trap-for-intestinal-infections-type restaurant, but people must still drop by sometimes. To prevent that, the restaurant is kept dark at all times. And every six months, it's given a terrible review in Ottawa Magazine, which is taped to the exterior of the front door beside the broken window. Wouldn't a nondescript house on a nice suburban street work just as well as a secret hideaway? It wouldn't be as dramatic. Besides, the chief has a soft spot in his heart for this place. So the chief called this meeting because of the letter you wrote. Who else did you send copies to? I sent it to the CIA, the FBI, the KGB, MI6, and every other government-sponsored spying organization on the planet I knew about. Plus the unofficial ones I found in the phone book. And you CC'd all of them so they'd all know they weren't the only ones who'd received it. Ace, why aren't you answering? I'm nodding. It's so dark in this place you just can't see me. In the letter, I explained the indisputable, incontrovertible, irrefutable truth that we are not alone. There are other civilizations out there, and they've been here. Just so you know, Ace, I'm nodding my head. I wrote that God was recycling long before blue bins came in. Nothing in the universe is anything more than incredible, awe-inspiring manifestations of stuff that was fashioned out of other stuff. There's someone knocking at the door. Do they ever serve people in this dungeon? There's only one thing on the menu stapled to the door. Frozen tacos. Well, does anyone ever come in and order one? I don't think so. People usually read the menu and leave. Giant Book of Destiny here to clarify a few matters. Every once in a while, someone will come in and order a frozen taco. Of course, when that happens, the person never leaves a tip and they never come back. Fact checker Fran, please keep irrelevant details to yourself. Uh, Ma'am, listeners need to know about the exception, the one customer who comes back all the time. She may come back all the time, but she doesn't leave a tip either. Yes, I was getting to that before I got interrupted. Fran, explain. Uh, hold on. The Mexican restaurant has one regular customer who claims to be partial to frozen food. That's what she claims, but she keeps a case of Tums in her car and swallows a bottle of them after every meal there. That's because the customer is actually an FBI agent named Stella Schwartz, whose permanent assignment is to report on the goings-on at the secret Cesar's hideaway. Stella knows the chief is on his way to a meeting at the Mexican restaurant, and she's on her way there now, too. But first she has to stop by the drugstore for some Tums, because her entire case mysteriously disappeared out of her car. Courtesy of Angie Starling, the CSIS special agent whose sole mission is to spy on Stella Schwartz. Uh, according to my notes, Angie is going to slash Stella's tires while she's in the drugstore so Stella will get to the Mexican restaurant too late to listen in on the secret meeting the chief had gone to such great lengths to ensure absolutely no one else on Earth knew about. Ouch! Chief, is that you? No names, Ace. I'm Redbird. You're Blackbird. Use the secret call so I can find you. Ouch! Wearing flip-flops into a dark restaurant was a bad idea. Thank you for coming, Ace. Now, leave this restaurant, leave this province, leave this country, and never come back. I'm actually over here at the next table, Chief. No, I just swear. If I may recommend the Darjeeling this afternoon, sir. Ah, splee! Excellent. Shine that reading light on the menu so I can read it. 
Today's specials are honey roasted ham with spiced pear chutney and watercress, a rare Angus roast beef with horseradish and arugula sandwiches in addition to the regular selection of sweets. I'll take one of everything. Ace, what about you? No, thank you, Redbird. Um, should I leave now and never come back? That will be all, Mr. Splee. Very good, sir. With the reading light for the menu gone, this place seems even darker than usual, doesn't it? Ace! Are you still here? I'm nodding in agreement, sir. Uh, Okay. Don't you want to know why I told you to leave before you leave? I assumed you were angry about the letter I sent you and wanted to see me in person to tell me you never wanted to see me again, even though you can't see me in this place. Ace! Blackbird. Where? I can't see a thing in this dark room. That's my secret name. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Blackbird! I didn't come all the way out here just for high tea. I thought you tried to find a reason to hold a meeting in the secret hideaway at least once a day. I'm trying to save your life! With a honey-roasted ham sandwich? No! I want to warn you that a requisition for your death has been issued, Redbird. You're Redbird. I'm Blackbird. Right, right. Blackbird. Following a general meeting convened at Spy Union headquarters, it was decided the best way to deal with the problem you represent was to eliminate the problem. A $1,000 bonus was thrown into a pot for anyone who can get the job done during the first two days. Yeah, FBI agent Stella Schwartz here. Stella, have you heard about uh, today's secret ceases meeting? Oh, wee oui, wee, oui, Chief. I'm on my way there right now. I'm running a little late because someone slashed all my tires. Okay, now the FBI just got word that Ace Galaxy is going to be at that meeting. This morning, the spy union headquarters requisitioned Ace's death. So, your orders are to kill the two birds with the one stone, eh? You want me to kill the two birds before? Before or after I kill Ace? Sacre bleu, the two birds are the meeting and Ace. Oh, how do I kill the meeting? No, you listen in and the meeting and kill Ace. Oh, got it. How fast can you change those tires? Already done. Oh, mon dieu, that is really fast, huh? Yeah, my tires get slashed all the time. So last summer, I interned at a Formula One pit crew. Ah, that's good thinking. Now get going. Oh, I got so good, the crew offered me a job. But I said if I was going to quit being a spy to join Formula One, it was going to be as a driver. That's great. Ferme your bush and start driving, eh? No, my way, chief. Fifteen more minutes and the blackbird will sing no more. I don't understand. Why is there a requisition for my death? Do you honestly think there was anything in that pie in the sky, let's all get along and live happily ever after letter, that everyone in the know didn't already know? Well, yes. Your tears, huh? (sighs) What part of the letter did you think was new? The definite proof that aliens have been here. Are you sure you don't want one of these skinny sandwiches? They're delicious. No, thank you. The gray aliens are... Gray aliens? I'm surprised you never found evidence of them. Their representative has a regular tea date with the president the first Tuesday of every month. Which president? All of them. President, prime minister, chief, pharaoh, whatever. The tea date alternates between world leaders. License and registration, please. Do you know how fast you're going, Ms. Schwartz? 
If they already know all about aliens, why is there a death threat over my head? Because you're so intent on upsetting the status quo by going to the press with your claims. All that stuff about equality and uniting as a planet. Do you have any idea how bad that would be for business? I'm sorry, Chief. I still don't understand. Your assertion that we should funnel precious resources into feeding and clothing and housing all those skinny people in other countries, well, well there's barely enough for the rest of us. But that's not the worst part. It isn't? Splink! Yes, sir? Oh, come and take all this stuff away. I- I'm full. Redbird? Where? No, you, Redbird. What's the worst part? Oh, okay. Uh, the... That insane proposition of yours that we should all stop hating each other. Where's the profit in that? Yes, officer, I realize I am not a Formula One racer. I promise I'll stay within the posted speed limits. Five more minutes and the Blackbird will fly no more. War. Weapons. Terror. Fear. That's where all the big money is. If people start believing all your outlandish claims, what happens to the weapons manufacturing facilities? Not to mention sales. Not to mention all the lost revenue because of the lack of riveting, panic-inducing stories on TV and in the newspapers. Ace! Blackbird. That's what I said, Blackbird. I can't say I ever liked you. You never file anything in the impossible, unbelievable, and unsolvable cabinet... And I have to wear flip-flops when you're around because you make my feet feel too restricted in shoes. But all that aside, I have to admit you did a good job. You were a fine special agent, and I think everyone's going a little too far with this death requisition thing. One more minute, Blackbird! I wanted to let you know so you'd have a chance to get away before I told all the other CESA special agents to hunt you down and kill you. You and that curly-haired paleontologist you took up with. Yasmin? She's sitting right here. <gasps> oh, she is. There's a death requisition on your head too, honey. Uh, what? You know too much. Damn it! That must be Agent Schwartz. Quick, take Splee's hand. He'll lead you out through the secret tunnel at the back. A requisition for our deaths? What are we, office supplies? Do people in your line of business request deaths like other people request paperclips? You shouldn't take it personally, Yasmin. It's just business. Business? My business is brushing old bones with old toothbrushes. My family business is getting rejected at auditions. My existence and the hour of its termination are nobody's business except mine. And if there's some sort of being overseeing this mess, then his or hers too, they us. Why are you stopping? We're going on the run from special and secret agents from around the world. We need supplies. Supplies? Chips, pop candy, you know, non-perishable food items to sustain us. They found a way to make a potato non-perishable, but not people. I'll just pop into this convenience store. Ace, we don't have time for this. Yasmin, our lives might be precariously close to the end, but in the meantime, we still have to eat, we still have to drink. But what if one of those assassins is lurking in the 7-Eleven? How would you ever know? What do assassins look like? Can you recognize them? I'm a specially trained CSIS agent. I know a suspicious character when I see one. Plus, I'll be looking out for anyone who suddenly makes a move like they're reaching for a weapon. Get into the driver's seat and keep the car running so we can make a quick getaway if necessary. Okay, but hurry. Oh, and be careful. I like ketchup chips. Who ever heard of a yellow beetle as a getaway car? 
All right, they'll be uh, $12.21. Yeah, I think I can find exact change for that. Yeah. Hey, can Nine you hurry it up, huh? I've been waiting Nine in this line for five minutes already. You know, this Nine is the most inconvenient convenience store I've ever been in. Hey, buddy, get your hand off my wrist! You made a sudden movement into your pocket. I thought you might be reaching for a gun. I was reaching for my wallet, you douchebag. Ten dollars, twenty cents. On FBI's Most Wanted last night, they said to watch out for irritable, nervous-looking individuals who made sudden, potentially threatening movements like the one you just made. Hey, you know who you are? You are a crackpot who watches too much freaking TV. This is a checkout line, buddy. Everybody here is reaching into their purse or their pocket. Oh, he's right. I've got to calm down. I can't be suspicious of everyone. Friggin' nut bar. Except that shifty-looking old lady. I don't like the way she's holding that tabloid paper in front of her purse. Like she's trying to hide something. What's she hiding? There's only one way to find out. Uh, Young man, why did you grab the National Enquirer out of my hand and then roll backwards across the floor? Um... Uh, Are uh, you hurt, young man? I can't believe I so completely misread the situation. Again. It's not like me to act so wholeheartedly out of proportion. I'm sorry, ma'am. I got some bad news today. I must be a little confused. Here, let me help you up. What a surprisingly vice-like grip you have, madam. The better to grab hold of you, my dear. Wait, what's that glinting in her purse? It's a gun. And it's inscribed. For 50 years of dedicated service. The KGB. That's a rather long inscription to fit on a gun, ma'am. It's a rather large gun. Wait a minute, you got a gun? Hold on, hold the phone. You can't rob this store. I get to rob it. I haven't been waiting in this line forever. Don't you know how rude it is to break the queue? I'm not here to rob the place, huh? I'm here to kill this man. Who? That fast-blinking Neanderthal-looking guy? I'll admit he's a jerk, but don't you think killing him is a little harsh? I got orders to kill him this morning, and I'm just here to do my job. It's nothing personal. The $1,000 bonus for getting the job done in the first two days isn't personal? Well, that might be a little bit personal, but otherwise it's nothing against you, my dear. Okay, okay, okay. You do your job, and I'll do mine, all right? Hey, you, behind the cash, hands up and give me all your money. Sweetie, either I put my hands up or I'll give you that $38 in this till, but I cannot do both. Don't you two know guns are illegal in Canada? Ah! Hey, you caveman, quit swinging that old lady over your head and put her down. She's just trying to do her freaking job. Hand over your weapon, please. What? Are you freaking nuts? I am trying to do my business here. Why should I hand my weapon over to you? Because of the rather large gun I've got pointed at your head. I'll get you, it, Galaxy. Hello, mister. You cannot run out of here with a paper. Who's going to pay for that? What paper? Oh, I didn't even realize I was still holding on to this thing. Um, it's on my grandmother, lying in the back there. That won't aim in a gun at you. Twelve dollars, twenty-one cents. Where'd everybody go? Drive. <laughs> Are we being followed? Guns, guns! Who's got a gun? Where? You! You've got two guns, and one of them is really big. I'm sorry, I picked them up in the 7-Eleven. If one of those guns is for me because you think I'll need to shoot someone in self-defense, you're going to have to think again. I won't shoot anyone, Ace. I can't! And when did they start selling guns in 7-Eleven? This is Canada. Guns are illegal here. That's why I confiscated them from the would-be assassin and the would-be robber. Turn right. I can't handle this, Ace. I feel like my heart is going to burst out of my chest. I I 
can't breathe. You're just overheating from the stress. Here, let me fan you with this paper. The cool air will help you calm down. Quick, pull ahead of that truck. Now turn into that VW dealership. Park! What is going on? We were being followed, but we're camouflaged now. I'm, I'm going to hyperventilate. It's okay. Breathe slowly. Here, I'll keep fanning you. Well, did we at least lose that person that was following us? For now. So, what's the big deal about a floating dog? What floating dog? You went into the store for snacks, and you came out with two guns and a National Enquirer. You explained the guns, so what's with the paper? Oh, I I grabbed it while I was dealing with the assassination and robbery attempts, and I was too distracted to put it down. What's that about a floating dog? The headline! Cairo the dog floats on the wind instead of against it. This is a crazy world! We're on the run for our lives because you wanted to let humanity know what you found out about recycling piles and the inherent equality of everyone and... And that we're not alone in the universe. And all anyone cares about is nonsense like floating dogs, two-headed monkeys, and talking vegetables. Some people will believe anything. Ace, why are you staring so intently at that paper? Do you think it's strange that the dog has a tennis ball in his mouth? Copy aid, terminate the broadcast. What, now? In the middle of the action. Without even explaining why Ace cares so much about a dog with a ball? Listeners will want to know if Ace and Yasmin are still being followed. We'll be inundated with with phone calls and... God, the letters just asking if listening to this broadcast has been a complete waste of time because the two protagonists are just going to die anyway. Calls are already coming in about the floating dog. Are you just going to leave everyone out there hanging? We're out of time. They'll just have to tune in next time to find out. Spice from every corner of the world. The world doesn't have any corners, Yasmin. It's a sphere. Spies from around the world are under orders to hunt us down and kill us to prevent you from sharing your discoveries about... The true nature of existence. And we're sitting here in this beetle parked in a VW dealership. To stay camouflaged while we work out what to do next. And you think this is a good time to knit? Yasmin, you know that when I'm knitting, I stop thinking. And when I'm not thinking, answers have an easier time getting into my head because they don't have to jostle through the crowd of irrelevant thoughts to make themselves known. Well, what are you not thinking about? The picture of Cairo, the floating dog, on the cover of the National Enquirer. Our lives could end any minute. We don't have time to wait for answers about some stupid dog to form in your empty head. We need to figure out where in the world we can go into hiding when the whole world is apparently plastered with our pictures on wanted dead, not alive posters. Do you think that's really a tennis ball in the floating dog's mouth? Do you really think that fake picture of a floating dog is worth all this knitting? It was created in Photoshop, just like the cover of Vogue. No, they don't pay this much attention to detail in the fake pictures they're always churning out. Ace, I think we should focus on more pressing matters, like buying wigs to disguise ourselves. Trained assassins working in competition against their greatest peers are after us. It's not just about the $1,000 bonus for getting the job done in the first two days. There's also the prestige involved in killing us first. Wigs won't help. Did you take a course in How Not to Comfort Your Girlfriend 101 in spy school? Look at this shadow. It's exactly right based on the angle of the sun. The light source, the shadows, the weight distribution of the dog's body, everything about this is correct. Yes, I mean, this picture was not faked. This is a real floating dog. 
We need to investigate. I think you should be paying less attention to the dog in that picture and more attention to that guy in the trench coat tapping at my window. Pardon me. Are you parked here perhaps because you are thinking of selling this car? Because I have been looking for one of these, and I will give you a way better price no, no. than the dealership No, would. we're not selling this car. Ace Galaxy, is that you? Yes, mean. Drive over his foot on my signal. Rajinder, how are you? I cannot believe that I am running into you now, right after I was talking about you on the phone with the chief. Now, Yasmin. Turn right. Who was that? Turn left. It was Rajinder from work. No, don't stop at the stop sign. Keep going. After the chief told us about the requisitions for our deaths over high tea, he would have instructed everyone at ceases to kill us. It's a good thing I quit, otherwise I would have been under orders to kill myself. Turn left. Right. Left. Stop. Did you change your mind about weeks? No. Well, then why are we in the middle of a parking lot in the mall? This is a hideout for the car. By now, every assassin in the world who's after us knows what we're driving. From now on, we'll have to walk. You want me to walk? Unless you want to take the bus, but we have to save our money. We can't use credit cards or bank machines. How much money do you have? $5.68. Okay, I have $63.12. Let's go. Why are you taking your knitting bag? In case I need to stop thinking about something. Fine, fine. Where are we going? Our first mission is to find Cairo the floating dog. Why are you still talking about that stupid floating dog? Our lives could end any second. We have no money and no means of getting anywhere except by walking. And I'm not wearing proper walking shoes. What's wrong with your shoes? Well, they're high heels. I never wear high heels. I only wore these because I wanted to look nice at that meeting with the chief when I thought he was going to beg you to come back to Cesar's. I did tell you the meeting was going to take place in complete darkness. We have to find a place to hide, Ace. That dog is not one of our priorities. Come with me. Why are you checking to see if any of these parked cars is unlocked? You want to hide in this car? Get into the back seat. You want me to look for spare change on the floor? You want to have quick illicit sex before we go on the run? No, I wanted a private place where we could talk. Here's a dime. Why would a dog float? It's impossible for a dog to float. There is no reason on earth a dog would be floating. I found a dollar five. Exactly. Yes, exactly. One dollar and five cents. No, exactly. There's no reason on earth a dog would be floating. That means the reason is from somewhere else. We know aliens from Tra-La-La change their shape when they come to Earth. We also know they carry around tennis balls just like the one that little dog in the picture has in his mouth. What if gravity on Earth is different from gravity on Tra-La-La and that causes them to float? What if this really is a picture of a floating dog that's actually a visitor from Tra-La-La? Editor-in-chief at the Giant Book of Destiny here to congratulate Ace on a fine bit of detective work. Fact checker friend, copy aid, have you prepared a background history on the floating dog? Uh, yes ma'am. I have all my notes right here. Let's see. Uh, before he was a dog, Frank Fickle DD was a reindeer, and before that a polar bear. Look, the most important thing is, before coming to Earth, Frank was the leader of Tra-La-La. And before that, he was Cha-Cha-Cha champion on the planet for three years running. Fran, please, stick to the relevant details. Uh, on a planet of dancers, being a Cha-Cha-Cha champion is the pinnacle of success. But with so many young dancers rising to the ranks, Frank knew his championship days were coming to an end, so he set his sights on the next best thing. Leader of Tra-La-La. What he didn't know was, the leader of the planet was nothing more than a nominal figurehead, whose main purpose was to provide a face for the billboards in the landing port for dignitaries visiting from other worlds. And to have tea with them. No one bothered running against him. 
About three months after his resounding win, Frank realized the planet was accustomed to just humming along on its own without supervision. That's when he called a meeting with his advisors, Mary Hard, Mary Arse, and Sandy, the makeup artist. Oh, no one's talking about me anymore. Kids don't interrupt me in the middle of meals in restaurants to demonstrate my fantastic moves. I feel like I've lost my groove. I want all of you to help me get my groove back. But Frank, baby, your numbers in the polls are great. It doesn't matter who's in office. The poll numbers never change. Everyone be just as happy if an extinct simian was in office. I'm happy to report no other creatures have gone extinct since you took office, Mr. Figgle D. D. Yes, 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 I know, but Sandy has a point. The poll numbers never change. I need something that will get my name into the history books. What if we rewrite the history books and replace the name of some beloved, renowned figure with yours? Or what if you rediscover something that was already discovered? <gasps> Those are good ideas! If we're going to delve into the past to create a new future, we need to come up with a list of individuals who made the greatest impression on the planet. What about Tony Slizzingtorn? It's a little late to rediscover shapeshifting, don't you think? Excuse me. Yes, but there have been other famous shapeshifters, like Willie Hornsloff, who became famous on Earth for building those triangles in the desert. Oh, that's it! I'll mount a mission to Earth. Do something incredible there, and then go down to the history books of both planets like Willie Hornsloff! Uh, uh, wait a minute! Hold on, hold on a sec! I'm lost! Where are we picking up the story? Shooting out of wormhole 1172A, the first thing Frank saw was Pluto on the edge of the Terran solar system. He became so excited about the prospect of setting foot on a new world, he ordered Phoenix, his ship, to set down right away even though they had several planets to go before they hit Earth. Oh, got it. He and Mary Arse used the energy ball to shapeshift spacesuits onto themselves and disembarked. Oh no, Frank! We need to get back into the ship. I still got the only energy ball allotted to our mission in my glove. You'll need this to shapeshift on Earth, then to call Phoenix for a ride home when your mission is over. We can't risk losing it. You have a ball? Oh, God, I love balls. Let's have a quick game of catch before we go back. Unfortunately, neither Mary nor Frank remembered to compensate for the lack of gravity and quickly lost the ball. Without it, not only would Frank not be able to change shape on Earth, he couldn't even get his spacesuit off on Pluto because it was shape-shifted on. Since Frank didn't think it was possible to make a lasting impression on Earth as a dancing alien in a spacesuit, the mission was canceled. Fortunately for them, and for this broadcast, the good ship Phoenix was able to locate the lost energy ball and the mission was back on. The first shape Frank chose to assume on Earth was a reindeer because he'd heard they had the ability to circumnavigate the globe in a single night. He thought that would be a convenient way to survey the planet while figuring out what fantastic thing he was going to do to get into the history books. As a reindeer, it didn't take Frank long to realize he couldn't actually fly. Uh, except when he ate those special little red mushrooms that grew on the tundra. That didn't count. Frank used his energy ball to call his ship back so he could work out a better shape to shift into from the safety of the ship. 
I've got it, Frank. You can go back down to Earth in the shape of a dog. They're so cute. That way, you'll be close enough to the humans to determine your plan of action. And you can carry your energy ball inconspicuously in your mouth. Because dogs love putting balls in their mouths. Whoa! Trees never smelled like this on Tra-la-la. <laughs> oh, and this yellow thing the other dog just peed on is a tapestry of interesting, diverting olfactory sensations. Oh, 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 Frank, Frank, get a hold of yourself. Ignore the smells and concentrate on your mission. Run up to that man with the briefcase and look up at him with bottomless adoration while wagging your tail in a friendly manner. Ooh! He'll pick you up and take you with him wherever he's going. Get lost, mutt. Why did he kick me? I know I'm adorable. I checked myself in the mirror before I left the ship. I'll just have to try again. What do you want? Johnny, don't touch that creature. It's probably rabid. Try again. Take off, you mangy thing. These earthlings are a violent, suspicious people. If they can't even be friendly towards creatures of their own planet, how would they react to an alien presence? Oh, no wonder Tra-La-La dancers always change shape when visiting here. I think I'll just rest under the shade of that fantastic-smelling tree over there while I figure out what to do next. Oh, I might even take a little nappy-poo. Oh, wait! Oh, where's my energy ball? Oh, shit! I must have dropped it when that last man kicked me. Hey, kid, get away from there! Okay, now let's see. Energy ball safe between my paws? Check. Large tree providing lots of shade and a comforting aroma? Check. Everything seems to be in order. Now I can take my nap. Hey, boy, do you want to play fetch? Quit running around in circles, boy. Here's your ball. Don't throw it! Don't throw it! Don't throw it! Fetch! Oh, oh, oh what do I do? Uh, I've got to chase it! Oh, this is the worst day of my life! Comets that crash through space! I love chasing balls! Got it! I'm going to run back to the girl so she can throw it again! Oh, 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 oh no, 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 Frank, no, no. No, go back to the shade and sit quietly. This is a dangerous game. You must stop letting yourself get carried away with those doggy urges. You're supposed to bring the ball back to me, boy. Wait! No! Don't grab the ball back! Fetch! Oh, debris in the recycling pile! This is fun! Oh, like, Maddie, there you are. Mom, can we keep him? Don't throw the ball again. Please throw the ball again. No, 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 don't throw the ball again. Yes, please throw the ball again. Like, man, cute little dogs like that don't appear out of nowhere, Maddie. He, he must have a home someplace, or maybe, like, he's lost. I have an idea. Why don't we, like, just go home and, and make some dog found signs? If no one claims him, can I keep him? Hey, man, let's start by making the signs. If I get to keep him, I'm going to call him Cairo after the tomb they just discovered. Don't throw the ball! Please throw the ball! Mom, watch this. 
Look at Cairo. It looks like his feet don't even touch the ground. Oh! What? My feet aren't touching the ground. I must be forgetting to compensate for the difference in gravity. Oh, well, there's just so much going on. So many smells, the exhilarating, devastating chase. Hey! Why is that yellow dog running toward my ball? Get away from my ball! Um, well, like, is your dog okay? Because I think he, like, fainted. Oh, I've lost my ball. I have no way of calling Phoenix back for a ride home. I'm stuck on this violent, suspicious planet. I'm going to be an adorable little doggy forever. The fetch game is over. <laughs> Come on, Cairo. Let's go home. Okay, so the dog is an alien. That's fine detective work, Ace, but you're off the case. Here's the dollar five I found under the seats of the car. Now can you please just forget about this floating dog? We have to walk for our lives. Yasmin, I sent all my findings to every spy organization in the Union, as well as the ones that don't follow any rules or regulations at all. If I came to the conclusion that little dog is an alien, then chances are someone else who read my report will do the same. Cairo, the alien dog's life could be in as much jeopardy as ours, and it's my fault. We have to warn him. We also have to leave this money here. Stealing is a crime. Hey, mister! Can I borrow your magnifying glass? Sorry, kid. I'm using it. What kind of freak sits on a bench in the middle of a park with a magnifying glass? Are you some sort of pervert or something? No, I'm not a pervert or a freak. I'm looking for clues about extraterrestrials in this picture in the Inquirer. Hey, look over there! The floating dog in the picture! Where? Hey, kid! Come back here! East, let's go. Yasmin, you're back. That child stole my magnifying glass before I could determine where we need to go. Ace? Before my magnifying glass was stolen, I managed to make out a license plate on a car in the picture. The dog is here in Ontario. I was in the process of studying the trees to determine the age of the park where the picture was taken. It doesn't matter. Let's go. Go where? To meet Cairo, the floating dog. You found him? Well, I'm a paleontologist. I have a talent for digging things up. Where did you dig? I called the guy that wrote the story. Al got the scoop. You didn't use your cell phone, did you? Well, of course I used my cell phone. What do you think? Oh! Every spy on the planet is probably on their way to our location right now, right? Then we should get a move on. How did you convince Al got the scoop to reveal confidential information? Well, I offered him a trade. The whereabouts of the dog for an exclusive about aliens that have been visiting this planet ever since it cooled down enough for a spaceship to land. Plus, the inside scoop on tea time with the Greys. Ace, please, slow down! You all got the scoop? Who is this? FBI agent Stella Schwartz. Look, if this is about the story I wrote regarding the FBI's involvement with the Colonel secret... You wrote that? Uh, no, I... Um, you recently had a conversation with a broad named Yasmin Stanislavski. I don't know what you're talking about. Besides, all my conversations, including the ones I have with my mother, are strictly confidential. I'm sorry. Look, I'm going to give you a trade. You're going to tell me everything you know about Yasmin Stanislavski. What sort of a trade is that? Oh, I don't know. In trade for your continued existence? That's a good trade. Come on, Yasmin. This is our stop. Can't we just ride this subway a little while longer? My feet are killing me. Two buses, a half-hour walk, two more buses, this stupid, smelly, crowded subway, and now more walking. 
I'm exhausted, Ace. Can't we just sit down in that Starbucks and have a coffee? We don't have time to waste sitting around. Plus, we spent a lot of money on all those buses in the subway. We can't afford coffee in Starbucks, not even Tim Hortons. Besides, we're almost there. We just have to cut through this park, then the next street over is where Al Got the Scoop said Carver the Dog lives. Hold on. Why are you taking your shoes off? Well, I'm trying to decide whether to abandon them right here or pick them up and throw them away. Hey, kid! That wasn't an invitation for you to throw a tennis ball into them. Hey, you mutt! Get your grubby mouth out of my shoes! Yasmin, did that grubby mouth dog that grabbed the ball out of your shoe look familiar? What? You want us to run? Oh, thank God I'm not wearing those heels anymore. Ace, why are we changing direction? The, the dog is across the field. But the ball he's after is coming this way. Are you going to do that with every ball you see from now on? Hey, mister, why are you holding my dog's ball against your ear? There's no storm inside this ball. There's no blue skies inside it either. Can I have it back, please? Come on, Ace. This isn't the right dog. It's not floating. Let's go. He only flows when he forgets not to. Can you please give him back his ball? He freaks out whenever he loses one. What do you mean he only floats when he forgets not to? Oh, well, as soon as anyone mentions he's floating, he stops. Weird, eh? Give me the ball. Go get it, Cairo. He sure seems to love chasing balls. When did you get that dog? I found him a couple weeks ago, right here in this park. He looked like he wanted something to play with, so I started playing fetch. What a mistake. Now that's all he ever wants to do. Yes? Stella Schwartz, FBI. Do you own the little dog in this picture? Well, I don't really think that one creature can own another creature, but yes, my daughter Maddie considers herself the dog's companion, man. Okay, whatever. Uh, Have the curly-haired paleontologist or Neanderthalish-looking man in this picture been here to see you? No, like, I haven't seen either of those people, man. Well, we have reason to believe that they are on their way here to conduct an interview. With, like, my daughter? No, with the dog. These are dangerous wanted criminals. If you see them, it's imperative you let us know. Who are, like, all those people, man, behind you? Kedad Smilk, Jamaican Defense Force, Intelligence Unit. Marie-Louise Tirmont, Direction Générale de la Sécurité Extérieure. Genpia Baloma. Thesis. And I, Eduardo Chacaron, General Counterintelligence, Venezuela. Ooh. And it is a pleasure to meet such a beautiful woman. Mm. You remind me of a former lover I once had. Alas, it was not meant to be. Ooh. We were from two very different worlds, you see. She was a dairy farmer from Calgary, and I, mm. I am lactose intolerant. Ooh. Oh, it pains me to speak about it. You can come in, actually. Is this the same ball your dog was playing with when you found him? No, a big yellow dog stole that one. Ever since then, Kyra's been totally obsessed with every ball he sees. We've been playing this game for hours. I'm getting tired. Did you throw the ball, mister? Ace, why are you reaching into your knitting bag? Ever been to Tra-La-La, Cairo? Did you ever lose one of these? Wait. You have to listen to me first. Don't just grab this ball and run away. Your life is in grave danger. But my friend Yasmin and I are here to help. Understand? Okay, here you go, boy. Oh my god, what happened? What? But look around! Everyone in this park has stopped moving! Except us! Where did you find my ball? 
The last time I lost it was on Pluto. I thought I was going to have to abandon my mission and go back to Tra-La-La, but my ship Phoenix found it for me. Oh, what is that boy eating? Mmm, so much better than dog food. Ace, what is going on here? Where did that little man come from and why is he tangoing with a sandwich? Well, <clears throat> but then again, dog food didn't seem so bad when I was a dog. When I was a polar bear, I almost took a bite out of Mary R's. <laughs> what just happened? I lost my energy ball. I thought I was going to be stuck on this planet as a dog forever. No, just now. Why are we the only ones who can move? Do you have the ability to stop time? Ooh, that red thing that child's eating is the same color as the mushrooms that make you fly I ate when I was a reindeer. Have you ever tried those mushrooms? They're yummy. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't stop time. I used the energy ball to alter our vibrational frequencies so we could enter the time stop dimension. Oh, this thing is delicious. What's it called? It's a candy apple. Cairo. Frank! My name is Frank. Frank Figgledee-Dee, three-time cha-cha-cha champion and one-time leader of Tra-La-La. Frank, Yasmin and I came here to tell you your life is in great danger. All our lives are in great danger. Where did you find my energy ball? That isn't your energy ball. Ace found it in the Great Pyramid in Cairo. <gasps> you found it in one of the triangles in the desert? Oh, this must be Willie Hornslov's energy ball. Why are you dancing between all those kids? I want to see what they're eating. I think I'm still experiencing latent doggy urges. I must control them and continue my mission. What is your mission? To make a lasting impression on this planet that will go down into the history books the way Willie's triangles in the desert did. May I offer you some advice? Sure, go ahead. Ooh, that little girl seems to be enjoying whatever's in that bag in her hand. They're salt and vinegar chips. Get off this planet as fast as you can. Government agencies all over the world know about your existence, and it really irks them. If they find you, they'll kill you. They'll kill us, too, if they find us. You're already in our history books. See this newspaper? Your story will be on the cover next week. National Enquirer. Ooh, sounds pretty official. Well, excellent. My work here is done. Why the long faces? We know too much about aliens. They're going to slaughter us for advocating planetary peace and equality. Well, in that case, why don't you come with me? Where? Back to Tra-La-La? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm afraid I'm no longer welcome there. Something about breaking some rules and stuff, I don't know. Oh. Oh, nothing to worry about, campers. There are over a hundred billion star systems in this ever-expanding galaxy to choose from. As soon as we get back to our regular dimension, I'll call Phoenix. Is that the cha-cha-cha you're doing over to that little boy? Did I mention I was the three-time cha-cha-cha champion on my planet? <gasps> What's this? You know, around here, we don't steal candy from babies. It's chocolate. Oh my god, it's delicious! Don't you ever walk? How long will it take Phoenix to get here? Oh, less than a week. Come here and hold my hand so you don't get stuck in this time stop dimension forever. We'll never survive a week. Why are you holding the tennis ball to your mouth? So, <clears throat> so I can call Phoenix for a ride home. Didn't you say you communicated with the lightning in the energy ball through thought, Ace? Phoenix, my mission to Earth has been a resounding success, but I'm afraid I'll have to leave in a little bit of a hurry. Uh, how soon can you get back? He doesn't seem like the type to keep his thoughts in his head, Yasmin. I'll be right down, Frank. You'll be right down? 
Where are you? Hey, where's my dog? I'm in orbit. I stopped hearing your thoughts after we were out of the solar system and I got worried, so I hurried back right after dropping your crack PR team off on Tra-la-la. She'll be right down. Cairo! Cairo! Where are you, boy? I know this is going to sound strange, but that little man talking to a tennis ball, <laughs> that's your dog, Cairo. Oh, no, that doesn't really sound strange. I always thought there was something weird about him. A bunch of people in trench coats are coming this way! The assassins! Everybody hurry! Get to Phoenix! Where? There's no spaceship here! Why are you climbing into that helicopter? It's not a helicopter, honey! It's Phoenix in the shape of a helicopter! Oh, I'll explain it all once we get inside. Do you people think it's a good idea to be shooting off all your guns with so many kids in this place? Bye, Cairo! Did this ship just turn into an airplane? Well, Phoenix was installed with rudimentary self-awareness subroutines. Someone, it really doesn't matter who, accidentally left her on with nothing to do for five years. And since self-awareness builds on itself, she eventually became self-aware enough to change shape. Whoa, I've never been inside a space shuttle. Where to, Frank? Any requests, kids? Do you know of any planets with... <laughs> Dinosaurs? Ooh, does Canada have beavers? <laughs> Phoenix, consult your databanks. Second wormhole to the right and straight on till morning. Set a course, number one. Ma'am? Why are you bothering me, Copy Aid? Can't you see I'm busy? I accidentally shifted the timelines for the intergalactic war between Andromeda and the Milky Way. Don't distract me. If I make a mistake, it could be disastrous. Okay, I just want to tell you the little red light has gone off and the broadcast is over. Ah, uh, ma'am, here's the giant eraser you requested. When will the two of you learn? As the editor-in-chief of the giant book of destiny, when I ask for an eraser, I need a giant eraser. A tiny thing like this won't even erase a millisecond, never mind an intergalactic war. What was that? There aren't supposed to be any explosions happening right now. The eraser is too small. The intergalactic war has started. But wait! According to my notes, Earth won't develop intergalactic defense systems for over 3,000 years. The planet is completely helpless. To hell with Earth! Those explosions are getting even louder and closer. The Destiny offices are under attack. The war started outside of its time and broke the cohesion of Destiny. Wait a minute. There's nothing about this in my notes. I have no clue what's going on. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.